Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, Kevin, here's my question for you to shift away from your Pacers 30-win wager windfall, okay? Okay. Which, by the way, I got the following text last night. Jake, the unofficial but official Pacers Fan Association has concluded that Kevin's windfall from his Pacers 30-plus win bet must fund the not-so-imaginary PBR party hosted by the homie JQ at whatever not-so-imaginary venue JQ chooses. This is official. Signed the official but the unofficial but official president of the Kevin Inquiry Pacer fan 30-plus windfall bet PBR party. You don't have to tell me twice. Uh, 90% towards Max's education, 10% towards PBR cakes. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, we'll throw in a little pizza as well um, for Good. the party there because right. we got to have that. I don't want to act well, doom and here, gloom but so am I my question am I a little nervous about what happened last night here's my question which team which which is more likely to be playing a week after St. Patrick's Day oh, Tyrese man. Halliburton or Indiana University yeah, uh, both of those questions are super relevant well I guess uh, does the CBI does IU do the CBI does IU do the NIT Kevin, Indiana's in jeopardy. You mentioned it the other day. Is Indiana going to miss the tournament? Uh, they have not done themselves any favor with these any favors with these three games in a row, and the last two in bad fashion. Before we get into that, I do want to mention the commute in this morning, really rainy. Yeah. Um, and I did see from our friends down on the fourth floor, WIBC, a couple of school delays. I saw Center Grove, Franklin, Danville. It's a little bit outside of the um, you know, direct Marion County area, but definitely just make a check of that if you're dropping any kids off at school this morning. And uh, your commute in could be a couple of extra minutes, probably really the most rain on a commute in in, in quite some time. Yeah, Jake, it's January 12th, and we got to talk about how you making the tournament before we talk about, you know, anything <laughs> bigger picture than that with the program. And uh, the defensive effort is laughable. Um, you know, I had a diehard IU friend. I'm in a group text last night. Oh, look at the injuries. Look at the injuries. I was bored. Couldn't fall asleep. Decided to look up the uh, recruiting rankings of the players in the game last night for Indiana and Penn State, so bear with me for a minute here, okay? <laughs> okay. IU had eight guys score, Jake. Okay. Three of them were five stars, three of them were four stars, and two of them were three stars. Penn State had seven players score in the basketball game last night. They had five of them three stars, and two of them got the old zero star recruiting ranking including um 23 points from a guy named andrew funk the you know, I, I think of fred funk the the golfer when i think of the last name funk um you recruit that sort of talent and i say that in quotes so you don't get run off the floor in happy valley when some injuries arise and yet here is indiana one and four in the big 10 and i think what we have to remind ourselves about the big 10 jake is you look at Indiana's schedule, 
They've got three games the rest of the year against ranked opponents. This is not the Big Ten with six teams in the top 25. Right. One of them is Saturday. Wisconsin at home. The other two? Purdue. So, the op- yes, the Big Ten naturally will have some nice computer games, but this computer ranking games, but this is not you're going to get five or six ranked teams here the rest of the way. Uh, as of right now, we have to talk about Indiana and the hope to make the tournament before we even sniff whatever was talked about preseason. They went from, I, and somebody tweeted this, I believe, I, I think that's where I saw this, but it was a great point. In like three weeks, they've gone from ranked 13th to 13th in the Big Ten. Which 13th in the Big Ten has been far too much the norm for them. Uh, as offensively, of Indiana offensively, they come down, they maybe run like a little weave up top, and then they throw it into Trace Jackson Davis. If, if they can get the pass to him. A lot of times it sails way over his head, wide left, wide right. You just kind of never know where it's going. If Trace Jackson Davis is being doubled, which he's seeing more of now because Race Thompson's not there, um, then Jalen hood Shafino, you hope, has his outside shot going. And if they do get it into him and he's doubled... He does have an ability to, to still score. Or he then makes one more pass, which typically would have been to Race Thompson, but now goes to Malik Renault, who I, I think thinks he's playing tight end for Bradley. God, he's been bad. And that's a that's another one that, oh, backflips, you know, light up the cigars, five-star recruit, look who Indiana got. It, Indiana's problem has been for the last 15 years, and it doesn't matter the coach, it's literally recycle the coach. They're more in love with the rankings of recruits than the meshing and molding of recruits. You know, when when sometimes you've got to have guys like, you know, just dirty work guys. You got to have blue collar guy. You know, yeah, they don't they don't build the puzzle very well. That's or, exactly you know, correct. That is exactly correct. Put the puzzle together very yes, well. That is exactly. Indiana basketball has the same problem that the Colts have. And that is that having an eye for talent and selecting talent is one thing. Knowing how talent is going to play with each other is completely another. Two totally different things. Jake, they've allowed 80 straight in their last, or excuse me, 80 points in five straight games against high major teams, the three Big Ten games that you just mentioned, Northwestern, Iowa, and Penn State, which I don't, last time I checked, I don't think those three are the juggernauts of the Big Ten, Northwestern, Iowa, and Penn State. And then you go back to Kansas and Arizona as well. 80 points in college basketball is a lot. <laughs> Trust me, we all watch college basketball. There are some nights where you're like, oh my gosh, are these teams going to get to 60? Yet Indiana on the defensive end, Mike Woodson's calling card, again, gives up. 80 points in five straight games. You would think kind of playing IU should be the exception. Like, hey, we're going to show up every night. We're going to give this great effort. But, Jake, you would hope that those would be wake-up calls. Yeah. You know, five straight. And I go back to the recruiting rankings I mentioned earlier. I mean, I went to Indiana and Tom Crean's first four seasons. It's not like they're running T. John Job and a manager out there. T. John Job was fabulous. Loved him at the top of the 1-3-1 when Crean would utilize that at times. But, they are playing, again, on paper, talented guys. Um, the other big one last night, as you mentioned, uh, the Pacers in New York. Jake, we're now, what was that? That was the first game of the second half of the season? 
So forty game forty two. Yep. I don't think we have recapped one Pacer game this season where we'll probably focus on injuries as much as last night. And the big one, Tyrese Halliburton, you know, who has been the straw mixing the drink for the Pacers. And he got in the third quarter, he got hurt, uh, left the game with what looked to be a knee injury. There was no update directly on his injury after the game. Miles Turner also Very did not play. Very awkward play there when Halliburton went down. That, that ugh. And do we have the Rick Carlisle sound, Mark? Here is Rick Carlisle afterwards, uh, which obviously would be, I guess, the most recent, quote-unquote, comments made because it's 7 o'clock in the morning. We probably will not know more until later this morning or perhaps early this afternoon. Um, but first off, there was a lot of question about Miles Turner because of the fact yeah, that Turner was a late spasm early. Yeah. People thought, oh my goodness, you know, has Miles Turner been traded? Please tell me that's not the case. It apparently was last-minute back spasms. And then uh, Halliburton in the third quarter, and the Pacers got down by as much as 25 before they roared back. Had to do so without Halliburton because he left the game. He was seen afterwards leaving on crutches. This is Rick Carlisle last night. You know, we finished our team meeting and and then as the players got up to go out, um, Miles Turner had a, had a spasm reaction in his back, and so they tightened up uh, pretty significantly. So trainers worked on it for a while, and all of a sudden he was ruled out. Um, he's not been traded, as I guess Twitter is blowing up saying that he must be, he must be that he's getting traded. <laughs> Believe me, I have no I have no interest in trading Miles Turner. Um, but anyhow, um, and then uh, Tyrese uh, on the fall, and I believe it was the third quarter, uh, left elbow, left knee. Um, he's going to leave the building on crutches, just so everybody's aware. Um, and he'll get checked out tomorrow. We hope it's not serious. It was awkward, Jake. You know, Halliburton. First off, I was very unsure why James Johnson was in the starting lineup. I'm thinking, Miles Turner, late scratch. Isn't this a golden opportunity for Isaiah Jackson and or Jalen Smith? But yet, James Johnson is going to get the start. Um, he shot the ball in the first play of the game. Oh, boy. I've seen enough. There was another play where Halliburton's driving and kicking to Terry Taylor. It was one of those nights where Halliburton just had so much on his plate. Was, and I, Late in the game, go guys hitting a three. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean wildly know. impressive that they came back, but... I mean, they were down four of their top eight guys at the end of the night. No, Aaron Neesmith didn't play due to illness, yet traveled. It's kind of odd to me. And then O'Shea Brissett was out due to a hamstring injury. So you were missing, you know, some notable, notable guys. But the Halliburton play late third quarter, he drives. And again, he's trying to do a lot. This reverse kind of left-handed layup. And he falls. And Josh Hardenstein, for those that don't know, is a big, big dude for the Knicks. Seven foot, two whatever, 250. And he falls and, and actually like lands on Tyrese's right foot. Actually takes Tyrese's shoe off with, with the landing. Um, so at the time, you're kind of watching. You're thinking, oh, that's a right foot injury. And yet, Carlisle says left knee and left elbow. For what it's worth... Halliburton, I would say, very slowly and gingerly with a limp, walked off the court. He was initially ruled out, ruled questionable to return. And then like five minutes later, Jeremiah Johnson comes back on the broadcast and says he's out. So 
this is all we've got to read right now, Jake. You would think if it was something like ligament related, maybe that initial ruling would have been just out. You know, he, he wouldn't have been even ruled out right. or ruled questionable. I don't know. Maybe I'm trying to look for positives in that. But nonetheless, anytime a player like Halliburton, who I would put up there in the top five most valuable players to a team in the NBA, anytime he's leaving the arena on crutches, not good news. Well, we talked about with Indiana, with IU, how they have talent, but they're not great. You said it perfectly. They're not great puzzle makers, right? At putting pieces together of a puzzle. Uh, the Pacers have been that. They have been a team that has done a really nice job of assembling a really good-looking puzzle here. But Tyrese Halliburton is that one key piece that sits right in the middle of the table without and everything attaches around it. I, I mean, Without a doubt. And I know a lot of people don't really care about this, but for Tyrese, it's kind of a thought that popped in my head last night. Jake, if he were to miss multiple weeks, maybe a month coming up here, Likely takes him out of the All Star game, right? And for a guy like Halliburton, that is something that you know. He's- I think substantial time missed in general takes him out of the All Star game, just because he's got to be. You know, he he's not the kind of star that's playing in L A. or Miami where he's on the forefront of people's mind. Right? Yeah, that is sadly that is probably a good point. So I I think we'll wait to kind of again jump to major conclusions on this, how this could impact you know the remainder of the second half of the season all that till we get official word on how long he's going to be out but again back spasms for Turner flared up as you heard from Rick Carlisle there sounded like just like a half hour before tip and again it's not the foot injury that Turner had this time last year right before the trade deadline but it's a big man with a back injury and if this lingers how does that influence uh what the next couple of weeks looks like for Miles Turner because four weeks from today is the trade deadline. While that comeback was you know, outstanding by the Pacers last night, they ended up losing, by the way, 119-113. Jalen Brunson made some plays late. You know a guy that cannot throw it in the ocean right now for Indiana? A guy that cannot throw it in the ocean for Indiana. Probably like half the roster, right? Chris, well, I was going Pacers. Oh, uh, Chris well, Duarte. Yeah, I saw... Somebody asked if, if it's – Duarte, do you remember, uh, like a year ago, we, we discussed this. Duarte, to me, I think he's a nice piece, but he's always felt like my proverbial 2025 guy, right? If he's giving you 20 a game, you're probably winning 25 games a year. He's four for his last 30. He can do a lot of different things. I, Seven for his last scoring, 45. That ain't – I mean – does he need to change the scenery? We talk so much yeah. about trades. Is he, yeah, is he and, more of a trade piece? And again, you've got a little bit of a log jam back there. Obviously, with Halliburton out for whatever period of time he's out, you know, minutes will be a little bit easier to come by for those guys in the backcourt. But Aaron Neesmith, I think, has certainly showed you more than Duarte has. So, yeah, that's a guy that definitely does not look like an unquestioned piece for you moving forward. You know what popped up on my... You ever heard of Time Hop, Jake? I have. Isn't that where it takes a post from like five years ago and yeah. reminds you of it? One year ago today, we did the human bowling. Really? Mm-hmm. Did you get? You didn't get hurt in that. You got a strike, right? Yeah, just a little bit of neck pain. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking back at the pictures. Man, Rosie and Boomer, that relationship did not go well. But uh, yeah, what? solid wingspan. God, we, we that was still when you had to rock masks for the on-court um so one year there. ago today, I mean, we would have only been like two months into the show, right? 
Yeah, that was a great celebration that you had. I'm watching the video right now. Good high five by us. That was good chemistry early on. <laughs> that was team building as well. 54 49 Celtics at halftime, by the way, of that game. They just they, they clipped up the uh, Jumbotron. That was pretty fun, though. You think we'll get asked to go back for the knockout, or you think I've been banned? Well, you did get the. I, I would. Would you do it again? I probably oh, would. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Paris Campbell was, did it with us. Oh, for knockout. I yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, human bullying? Yeah, I mean, I would do it again. Gosh, I feel like I've just seen like five different heat lightning moments yeah. out there. Is that am I seeing that right, Mark? Yep. Yep. Scared the bejesus out of my daughter this Excuse morning. Me? Really? The bejesus? Something that gets scared out of you. Now there's a little <laughs> bit of delay Is that out blasphemous? where, out where you so. are, Mark. What? I know you're you know, Brownsburg Avon uh-huh. area, but Danville on yep. a two hour delay. Mm-hmm. So again, for those uh, kind of donut cal- counties, maybe on the outskirts of that. Check I thought out you the were delay saying that situation. life's on delay on the west side of town. <laughs> no, no, well, you know, over in Avon, they're about uh, they're usually about a year behind. Uh, to be fair, yesterday we did have a delay at the airport. That you was know, if that heat lightning is traveling on Rockville Road. It's it's a bit slow this morning. <laughs> Rather right? significant. Uh, we had the Colts' first head coach interview yesterday. The reports are Raheem Morris on Friday, Shane Steichen, Eagles' offensive coordinator. On Saturday, Bubba Ventrone, Colts special teams coordinator, gets the first interview. That took place yesterday. Uh, Jake, I I don't slot Bubba into this. Fire everybody on that staff. They all were toxic. They all you know have their hands dirty. I think week in and week out over the last five years, that Colts special teams unit has been an advantage for them. Um, I said it. A few weeks ago, wrote an article up on 1075thefan.com back in late December. The new head coach needs to try and retain Bubba Ventrone. I, I just think he's he's a young, emerging guy that Bill Belichick has thought extremely fondly of. Undrafted free agent, Super Bowl winner. Um, I think he brings just kind of a different style of coach than Frank Reich. And again, special teams coaches, you look at John Harbaugh, you go way back, Marv Levy and Mike Mike Dicka as well. I mean, special teams coordinators have become, there are instances of them becoming pretty successful head coaches in the league. Um, so I don't know how realistic it is he gets the job necessarily, but I think he's deserving of an interview. Yeah, I, he's one that you have, I don't want to put words in your mouth, I mean, I guess you just said it, but Bubba Ventrone, like you have been... Fan is maybe the wrong word, but I, an admirer of his for a yeah, while, right? I think that's very accurate. What what about him do you particularly like? I, I like his energy level. I think he walks that fine balance, Jake, of being stoic when necessary, but can also light a fire under some guys. And again, the appeal to the special teams coordinators is this. You know, think about an end of the week for a team. Hey, I don't know if this guy's going to make it. Uh, you know, is he going to be healthy enough to play on Sunday? The injury report. You're bringing your special teams coordinator in all those meetings because that's the one that has the biggest domino effect. If you're taking a guy off his unit because he needs to play a bigger role on Sunday, right. now he's in scramble mode. So he is very in tune to the back end of the roster. And he pretty much coaches everybody on the team when you think about it. Because you're a field goal guy, so you've got some of the bigger guys that play on that unit. Again, you're a special teams guy, which obviously kick and punt, so you've got a lot of the younger guys. And, you know, I think in a way, a guy like Kenny Moore going from good special teams player to defensive player, Zaire Franklin going from special teams captain to a defensive player, Bubba Ventrone helps in that area. You know, on on special teams, aside from like the field goal unit, because obviously there you've got just guys blocking, but on... 
on the return on on kickoff teams, and I guess to an extent on return the return team, the the special teams unit is made up mostly of players whose natural position is what. What's the most common position that gets relegated into special teams? Yeah, I'd say DB or linebacker. Uh, linebacker would be probably the, the guess, right? Yeah, defensive back. Or, or I think if you look at past years, Zaire Franklin probably played the most special team snaps. George Odom. Didn't, I think... When he was here, George Odom now with the 49ers. You know, there have been... Robert Mathis. Safety. Didn't Robert Mathis start as a special teams guy? Yeah, early in his career, Mathis definitely would fall into that group. So, again, the first head coaching interview... Is Bubba Ventrone? Uh, did you see that David Shaw interviewed at the Broncos last night? Well, and I know the Broncos are also supposedly interviewing Morris, right? Raheem Morris, yeah. After the Colts interview him, you know, obviously that Denver group, depending how much John Elway influences there, Condoleezza Rice is a member of their ownership group. There's obvious Stanford connections. Right. I think that was made a little bit more with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, but yeah, David Shaw, who resigned from the Stanford Post late last year, wish he would have resigned before they played Notre Dame. <laughs> uh, he seems like he's a pretty. He good used coach to be kind though, of the right? hot NFL name, right? Correct. I mean he he had a lot of success at Stanford. If you have success at Stanford, which has been a good program, but again, you've got different standards there, then you're probably a pretty good coach. I guess it helps to have an Andrew Luck, but. But yeah, he definitely got that program consistently, even you know pre and post luck. It's not like they had a huge fall off until here as of late. So we'll continue to keep you updated on that front and start to look ahead to this weekend NFL playoffs. Again, two games on Saturday: Seahawks, 49ers, Chargers, and Jags. We've got three on Sunday, and then for the second year in a row, it's the Monday night wild card game. That will be Cowboys and Bucks. So it looks like uh, what? No Lamar Jackson and no Tua Tonga Viola. Yeah, two is the one. If I'm Tua, I'm looking long term at that of not being available. To be honest with you. And you know what? If you look at both of those situations, Jake, it sounds like the backups are both iffy. Teddy Bridgewater. Oh, absolutely in Miami. Yeah. Yeah, iffy in Miami. So that would be Skylar Thompson. Sounds like an ex gamer. Uh, he would be starting for Miami as they take on Buffalo. And then for Baltimore, we'll see if Tyler Huntley can make it to Sunday. If not, it would be Anthony Brown. Do you remember? Uh, do you guys remember my Mitch dilemma about a couple of months ago? Uh, vaguely. You were but supposed I, to like meet him for lunch or something? I, I just had in my phone, it just said Mitch, like 1 p.m., and, I, and we never did figure that out. I never no, you waited out. out in the lobby with flowers and chocolates, and no <laughs> one ever came up. Well, today, I've got another dilemma. Which, in the rain, would probably be a good look yeah. today, you know? I've got in my phone today, for one thirty. it just says, Fisher's Career Day. Oh, yeah. I've got that today, too. Is that today? Yeah. Do, do I, I don't know who, who asked me that. It? Um, it was a well, buddy. Of mine teaches at Fisher, so yeah, I'm speaking there today, career day. Okay, uh, so are you doing? Are you carrying that flag? Because I can totally I must, represent us. I must have been asked at some point, and then I never heard again about it. Like nobody emailed me this week or anything to follow up. So yeah. am I off the hook? Uh, yeah, I will. I will happily say representing Kevin and Quarry. Okay, thank you. And if there are any kids weeping and crying, I will make sure to. <laughs> comfort them well yeah I don't know. that's Here's a bucky nugget friend <laughs> yeah uh-huh right I, now i do have some of those too yeah right uh, uh, well, again for those commuting in this morning a little bit of rain 
uh, on your way in. Visibility sounds like a little bit outside of the Indianapolis area. Something to keep an eye on. Uh, but hey, at least it's not snow, right? I thought that exact same thing this morning. I walked out and I thought, you know what? This is, it's been gray forever. It's misty. It's like 35 degrees. And I thought, could be 10. Could be 10. And this would be like snow and ice on the windshield and all of that. Like, not so fun stuff. Big negative on that. Uh, Char- I'm seeing this behind you right now. Jake, Charles White passed last night? Yeah, passed away at the age of 64, I believe he was. The 79 Heisman winner. Um Charles White was on the cover of Sports Illustrated with Billy Sims. Billy Sims had won the Heisman in 78. The famous cover of the two of them pulling in and said, you know, hey, man, that's my Heisman or something to that effect. Um, A decent pro career, but obviously a dynamic runner in winning the Heisman in 79. Really the first Heisman winner that I can recall, uh, to be truthful, uh, passed away with from cancer, unfortunately, at the age of he was either 64 or 65. Yeah, I think it was 64. Yeah. Gosh, your your Heisman knowledge. What's that? Your Heisman knowledge is just outstanding. <laughs> well, thanks. That and Indy 500 winners. Anything else that we should group up there? I mean, I guess now algebra. Uh, World Series, NBA Finals, all you know the World Series really. Super Bowls were always hard for me because it's in a different calendar year than the season year, so it gets like real weird. But I've always felt, Kevin, that you can remember, most people can remember championship teams and the year so long as it was during the time that they were in school. Because hmm. you can easily differentiate the years in your mind based on the grade you were in school. Once you get out of school, it all runs together and you're like, oh man, I was at 2015 or 2019. I don't know. You know, I guess baseball is the only sport, but baseball, you know, falls in the same calendar the whole season. Correct. So that, you know, right. to your point, that, that I've always felt is a little bit, I guess, easier. But when the year starts, you know, Colts, do you call it the 2006 season or do you call it they won the 2007 Super Final Bowl? Final fours, I'm pretty strong. Like, but you got to go. You got to go like late seventies to like early nineties. Like, give me a, like off the top of your head. Uh, 81. 81 final uh, four. That was obviously easy. Philadelphia. Indiana defeated North Carolina sixty three fifty to win the national championship. They defeated LSU in the national semifinals, and North Carolina, I, de- I believe, defeated Virginia, and then Virginia and LSU played in the final consolation game in Final Four history. Now this year, you probably will need to try and remember Final Four from maybe the NIT. <laughs> To get and Indiana on the that CIB Final Four, Indiana yeah. had a rematch with Wyoming from last year. There you go, and, and, may, then, and maybe Notre Dame, may, maybe Coach Bray's Notre Dame Irish. and Bucknell fought mm-hmm. about in the, in the yeah. other one. Yeah, actually, I don't even know if Notre Dame would be good enough again in the CBI, but nonetheless, we'll talk IU today. We'll talk Pacers. Scott Agnes joins us at eight thirty. We'll try and see if we can get some updates. Again, first time really all year that we've had to focus on the injuries. Tyrese Halliburton, especially, and a little bit of Miles Turner from last night. Zach Kiefer at nine o'clock. We'll continue to get into the Chris Ballard press conference. For from earlier in the week. Had a lot of calls on that yesterday, so we'll uh, reach out for those thoughts from you guys as well. And the Colts candidate list growing. Six names on the list. They've had their first interview. We'll chat about that throughout the show. Kevin Bowe, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton on a rainy start to this Thursday morning. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with college basketball last night. Disappointment in Terre Haute as Indiana State drops their first game in the mobile. 69-61 Southern Illinois. The winner, four-game win streak is now snapped for 
the trees, who are 13 and five overall and six and one in the Mobile. It was Bradley over Evansville, 91-46. Purple Ace is now four and 14 and 0 and seven in league play. And the other big one we talked about, Penn State over Indiana, 85-66. Indiana now 10 and six, three game skid, one and four in the league. Trace Jackson Davis had 14 and 11 boards. Jalen Hood, Shafino, Tamar Bates, 11 points apiece. Indiana looked clueless defensively and anemic offensively. Not a good combination. And Mike Woodson had this to say after a third straight defeat. Well, I got to manage it. You know, I mean, we got some young guys. You know, our two veterans are sitting on the side, and they're not coming through that door anytime soon. So, you know, I'm going to have to manage it. You know, our guys are a little down right now, and they should be. They got smacked in the face tonight. And, you know, my thing is we're just – we're not competing at all. And, and that's on me. You know, I got to get us competing harder and stronger. And we're not doing that. You know, we was awful in guarding. We had a good game plan going in. And we just – I mean, half of the threes, we're right there with a hand and hoping that they miss instead of just getting into the ball and making them put it down. And we go a little something like this. <laughs> Here's the thing. <laughs> how how often do we hear that though? I mean, literally after every game, it's you know that's on me. I got I got to do a better job. Yeah, you do. At some point, Mike Woodson's making a lot of money. They've got. Well, at least he didn't blame Xavier and, and race, I guess, fully like he did true. last game. As I said last night, all we heard about with Indiana for the last year is NIL, and now all you, all you're going to hear about is NIT because that team does not look like that. I don't I don't know if they're going to make the tournament or not, and it's a long year and things can get turned around. But right now, they look like a team that's got no direction, no chemistry, no clue, and no coaching. You know what it, helps after three straight losses? Funky Comadina. Well, Funk, that's the guy for Penn State who hit that's right. seven threes last but night. But he wasn't cold, I'll tell you that uh, much. I think what is also concerning for Indiana right now, you have not played Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State. I mean, it's not like you're playing what you consider the top of the Big Ten. Five straight games against high major teams allowed 80 in all five of them. Uh, last night in Madison Square Garden, it was a really weird Pacer game. Um, they start the game with no Miles Turner, no Aaron Neesmith, no... O'Shea Brissett. So you're down three of your top, whatever, eight guys. Uh, you get down, as you would expect, a ton early in that game. Tyrese Halliburton leaves late third quarter with a very awkward-looking left knee, left elbow injury. That deserves all the attention here on this Thursday morning. And then, Jake, they make some wild comeback with a lineup out there of Andrew Nemhard, TJ McConnell, Benedict Matherin, Buddy Heald, and Goga. They cut it to two at one point. Jalen Brunson made some plays late. They lose 119-113. But, again, uh, injury watch, especially for Halliburton. I guess a little bit of Miles Turner with uh, back spasms. That will dominate what Thursday matters for the Pacers. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, sad news in the world of football. The 1979 Heisman Trophy winner Charles White out of the University of Southern California who rushed for over 2,000 yards in the 1979 campaign then was drafted by the Cleveland Browns. Had a conflicted career in terms of off-field things, but was the 1987 NFL Comeback Player of the Year. That was significant because that was largely won due to the fact that he had five straight 100-yard games for the Los Angeles Rams, where he was reunited with John Robinson, his college football head coach. Those games were facilitated by the fact the Rams had just traded their running back Eric Dickerson to the Colts. Charles White passing away 
from liver cancer, also suffered from dementia at the age of 64. When we come back here on Kevin and Corey, we'll get into the Colts conversation. Their first head coaching interview took place yesterday. Reportedly, they've got another one coming up on Friday and Saturday. We'll explain who they are. And Chris Ballard used the word stubborn to describe himself in his press conference on Tuesday. Is there a little bit of glass half full in seeing a possibility that he could adjust from his roster building process? We'll explain more coming up next here. Kevin and Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. You know, the reality about the state of Indiana basketball is the fact that Indiana has lost three straight and its season is teetering in the balance. And as my friend Greg Poley points out, Mike Woodson is starting to sound with each and every game, not like Tone Loke, but more like Frank Reich. And there was a time in the city of Indianapolis where Indiana's futility in basketball would have been topics A, B, C, and D, but they still now... (laughs) If you don't mind me saying so, that was one of my greater brain-dropping spontaneously Mm -hmm. ever, right? I have Um, to admit, I never thought about it. It was one of the rare moments of Jake trying to be serious and Mark just (laughs) drops that in there. (laughs) Uh, But... At any rate, we will talk about Indiana basketball, but the topic still, even with Indiana struggling, I think the fan base is just like, here we go again. And so we shift back to the other team that is struggling, which is the Colts, because... You know, this is a big week for them in terms of the coaching search, Kevin. Yeah, and again, they um, interviewed their first candidate yesterday. Reportedly, interviews coming up Friday and Saturday. We'll get to those names in just a second. But something I was thinking about in the last kind of 36 hours in debriefing the Chris Ballard presser, Jake, is this. Ballard used the word stubborn to describe himself when it comes to his roster plan, his roster construction, his philosophy, and how you build a team. Positional value... Doesn't really matter in his eyes. You know, he's adamant about the trenches. Um, He's going to pay guys that no matter what position that they play. And it's probably unfair to use the word stubborn with Kevin Pritchard, Jake. But I think Kevin Pritchard would even admit that the Pacers probably held on to a roster building approach that they eventually realized was a bit outdated and believing that Sabonis and Turner would work. And they held on to that group and a little bit more of an aging group, not the most athletic bunch. And eventually, and honestly, probably this time last year, that's where Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, and those people over there said, enough is enough. We've got to do something different. And is this that moment for Chris Ballard? Is this that moment where enough is enough? And obviously, Kevin Pritchard has turned this ship around, and it's a totally new-look roster. It's a new skill set group. I think, clearly, if you don't hit in the draft, particularly in the NBA when you're a small market team, you've got no chance. They've gotten several hits in the draft over the last couple of cycles. And now, all of a sudden, the Pacers are in a position where you feel really good about things moving forward. So, if you want to look glass half full... Has Chris Ballard had the look in the mirror moment? Has he had that to where 
All right, what I'm doing, the results, you can't argue with them. And we just hit rock bottom, arguably, and going 4-12-1. Maybe that's giving Chris Bauer too much of the benefit of the doubt, but, and, and to be fair, I'll probably believe it when I see it, <laughs> that he's going to change. Right. But you know what, Jake? I probably said something about Kevin Pritchard very similar this time last year, and Kevin Pritchard has completely shifted things, and a major credit to him for doing that. Will Chris Bauer do it? You know, it's a great point because it did feel like with Pritchard that he was teetering on, I don't know that his job was in jeopardy, but certainly the franchise itself was teetering on just being kind of an afterthought to most people, right? And, I mean, they they just, Kevin Pritchard grabbed a hold of that wheel and took control of it and, and took the narrative right back. And, and got them going at the fork in the road in the right direction. And I don't know with Chris Ballard, I mean, certainly it can be repaired for him. But the problem I think that Chris Ballard runs into, Kevin, is that because they have had basically two years in a row of the same quicksand of futility, now to get out of that, it takes a longer rebuild in the NFL. I know that the NFL is set up for... Definitely. You know, the NFL is set up for teams to be able to go from worst to first, right? I mean, the way this, the schedule's done, certainly schedule next year's schedule is favorable in, in terms of the opponents, at least seemingly on paper. But if you are starting over with a brand new quarterback, especially a young one that's got to learn on the job, then you're kind of getting yourself right back to square one here, right? You know, obviously Kevin Pritchard's big move in starting all of this was trading DeMontis Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. And I, I get there are other pieces thrown into that trade, obviously Buddy Heald being a huge part of it. But Jake, you just can't do that in the NFL. Like You can't trade Shaquille Leonard tomorrow for your quarterback of the future. That's <laughs> just not how that, that league operates. Um, so that, yeah, Ballard is in a much more difficult situation. He's deeper into his belief. I, I think in the back of Kevin Pritchard's mind, I think he always knew, boy, I really hope this works out. I'm not totally confident in it, but we've kind of built it like this. We've got no other choice. We've got to hold on to it as long as we can. And the injuries to TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon and Karis LeVert, I think all of those probably contributed to a final of like, all right, enough is enough. We've got to do something differently. Again, Bubba Ventrone interviews with the Colts yesterday. That is a special teams coordinator, 40 years old. Bubba Ventrone came over from New England to join Frank Reich's staff in 2018. Bill Belichick, extremely high on Bubba. Um, That is the first head coaching interview for the Colts. Reportedly, Jake, tomorrow's Raheem Morris mentioned this yesterday and talking to someone who's coaching the NFL for multiple decades. So they have not been around a person that combines great human and great coach more than Morris. Says players love him. Jalen Ramsey, one of the more volatile players in the NFL, just literally stands on top of a mountain to praise Raheem Morris for what he's done for him with the Rams. Um, so that is reportedly for tomorrow. And then Saturday, Shane Steichen, that is the offensive coordinator from Philly. Now that's a newer name that seems to have come about. Or am I wrong there? He, he was in the original four. We okay. kind of got those four announced on day one. Um, Steichen, I, I would say, is somewhat new, Jake, to like this process. I, I mean, Raheem Morris's name has been thrown around before Steichen. I guess I was not so as focused much. on like... 
in the beginning, you know, first off, the once I got over the shock of not one but two Lions coordinators, and then my mind just kept going to Harbaugh, who, you know, we know did like a Zoom interview, wasn't it, with Carolina, I believe, and and he still, if you look at and and who knows what to make of these kinds of things, but if you look at like the Vegas odds. They still list, at least as of yesterday, this time yesterday, listed Indianapolis as the highest odds for where Harbaugh would coach next year, if not Michigan. Again, the Harbaugh thing is just so odd and weird to me. I'm like, how much of this is agent-driven? You know, just wanting more money? I mean, Mel Tucker makes more than Jim Harbaugh. Right. Jim Harbaugh deserves more money at the college level. Um, And again, you just had the mixed messaging with this press release from last week and yeah, I, I'm very. So I I get Harbaugh's resume, but I don't know if I'm one that is like Harbaugh comes here, cures all, and the Colts are going to be on this decade long run. Right. I, I don't know if I'm there. The other problem with, with Harbaugh, Harbaugh, the other challenge with Harbaugh, let me say that I wouldn't say problem, but challenge that I think you have to consider. I recall, for example, when Rick Carlisle was an assistant with the Pacers. And Larry Bird left, and there was thought that Rick Carlisle would become the head coach. But the Pacers brass told Rick Carlisle, listen, this is not the best situation for you because we are about to go into a rebuild, and for you, if you want to be long-term a coach in the NBA, we would be doing you a disservice putting you in this position because... We're going to be rebuilding, which means the first year or two, the head coach is going to take a lot of heat because we're not going to win a lot of games. And as a an unknown or unproven commodity, now ironically, Isaiah Thomas is, I think, where they went, but um, it would hurt you long term because it would stain your career right off the box in wins and losses. Hmm. So timing was an important aspect of analyzing who to put in in that situation. For Harbaugh, if you're coming in and you're doing not a rebuild with the Colts, but a retool, but theoretically with a rebuild at the quarterback position, then Kevin, what you're doing, and I always believe this, when you are drafting a quarterback and and, utilize, and growing that and watering that seed, then you are looking at two to three years before you're able to say that you now are on all cylinders. And I think Jim Harbaugh is a three to four year coach. Because I just think that he is a darn good coach and a likable guy, but a quirky personality that has a shelf life of like four-year max for players. That's why he's a good college coach. Right. Because at four years, you're yeah. like, okay, this guy's, burn him. Right, this guy's goofy, right? Yeah, I just... Uh, the timing I, for me for Harbaugh would be of question is what I'm Does thinking. anything worry you that he hasn't been in the NFL in a decade? Also fair, I don't know that the NFL has changed that right, much, right? Right, right, right. Because you are correct, though, in, you know, it's a different NFL than it was, say, probably, you know, like Jim Mora, if he was a younger man. I, You know, Jim Mora coached in kind of a different era of the NFL. And again, what he did with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. I mean, it's not like those are all Correct. pro quarterbacks. Darn impressive there. Um, a little bit more on Steichen coming up here on Saturday, Jake, that interview. Again, Nick Sirianni, Frank Wright coaching tree. Eagles offensive coordinator. He's called the plays. Sirianni stopped calling plays like 
midway through his first year. Steichen's been the guy there calling the plays. Uh, extremely close with Phillip Rivers. Again, came from San Diego with Rivers. These are the three quarterbacks Shane Steichen has mainly worked with. Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. If you have a prerequisite on the list of we need someone with a quarterback background, those are three very different styles, very different ages. That's a background that would be enticing to that. I do think something to keep in mind with the offensive head coach. Again, that is the appeal, pairing up the young quarterback with the offensive mind. I thought an issue for Frank Reich, Jake, was he was too invested in the offense and didn't. I think at times he forgot he was the head coach of the football team. I think that's fair. And I think you see that a lot, right? When you have coaches that that are coming from do you I recall when when Tony Dungy first came here, people thought that at times the offense was too conservative because Dungy was focusing too much on the defense, et cetera, et cetera, right? You, even if it's not true and even if it's not taking place, there always becomes that stigma when you have a coach that was previously a coordinator and now is the head coach that they are focusing on too much on one side of the ball. By the so, way, that's a nice shirt you have on today. Well, yeah, I thought the... Fisher's kids. I should probably. My, my mom used to teach at Fisher's. Is it I, wool? Know, is that wool? Is it linen? No. What, what you... I, I I would say I'll let you look at the tag during the break, but that, that could create an <laughs> image for our listeners that might be a little bit awkward. <laughs> oh, this is awkward on that front here. Actually, I was doing some math during the break because you already have, I guess, said I'm paying for the PBR keg. So I've been doing the math how we can break down. How much is a keg of PBR? Uh, eighty nine dollars. What? What was that? Six dollars? Mark. (laughs) I love PBR. Not based off that answer. Yeah, it's nice and cheap and it's good. Should I be worried about 30 wins? Does a Halliburton injury worry me? I think it's a little early. Seven and 30. They got to go eight and 34 in their last seven, right? Don't they have 23? Well, they have to. So they don't have to go over 30. At least 30. 30 or more. Okay. I think you're fine for now. I know we're in this like. That just. I don't know. If you get the early March and bucks. Like 26 wins, then maybe get, get worried. It Kevin, looked awkward last night, Halliburton going down. A keg of PBR is $105. That's without the tap. Do we need a tap? I mean, you're going to look at it otherwise. Well, I mean, do you have a tap? Hey, we can get this open. <laughs> we don't need a tap. We got we got a huge oh, bottle yeah. opener over here. Right. I use this to get my you know canned carrots. I got this hacksaw. Give me like ten minutes. Now, now where where is the party again? Well, that's uh, also to be determined. Uh, do you need an ice tub for your keg? Oh no, oh, we're good there. Gone. Yeah, just put a, put a cold. Yeah, we just stick it outside in this weather. That's a good point. We'll be good. That's a good point. You can't query. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton across the way. Is it stopped raining, Jake? Stand by. It was raining a good amount on our commute in this morning. Again, some school delays a little bit Say out. It looks like slight dri- uh, drizzle. The word that I made up, by the way, back when Sniglets were a thing, a made-up query word, it oh, is God. frustrating. Do you know what frustrating is? No, hold on, I haven't even defined it. I don't, I don't, no, I don't need, need you to define it. We're already is, over. Frustrating is when there is a slight amount of precipitation, but not quite enough to use your windshield wipers, or else it makes things worse. That's very frustrating. 
It was legit raining on the commute in this morning, so just keep an eye on that again. Do you know what an ice scape is? Some school delays a little bit outside of Marion County, kind of on the outskirts Mark? of the Donut Counties. I'd love to stick with this topic. You know I need to take a break, break here. It's the one cube that gets out of the freezer as soon as you open it. There's the one ice scapee that falls out. You know what we got to do with the break? What's that? Hit it. <laughs> Fair enough. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 8 o'clock hour here on Kevin and Corey. Scott Agnes going to join us at the bottom of the hour. Hopefully get update or two on where things stand injury-wise for the Pacers. Again, it's not it's a word we used a whole lot last year. Unfortunately, I had to give a lot of those updates, but this year they have had great injury luck. Last night, not one of those nights. Tyrese Halliburton going down late in the third quarter, very awkward landing. Step, yeah, step on his right foot, but the injury update afterwards was left knee, left elbow, and left the arena on crutches. Um, so... We'll see if we get an update today on Halliburton. Um, Jake, I'm sure there were a lot of Indiana fans that were, and that would be IU fans, that were, enough is enough, I'm turning over to watch the Pacers. Uh, you had to stick until the third quarter, into the fourth quarter, to really get your entertainment and to see a very competitive comeback from the Pacers. But uh, that was abysmal in Happy Valley last night. Penn State outscores Indiana. I think it was by 42 points from behind the arc. Isn't it amazing, like, Indiana University basketball cannot shoot the basketball. There are so many things that was that were amazing, just in the state of Indiana that are disappointing. Right? For example, I at one point, so I was I was watching the game, and then. It was halftime, and I, I ran an errand, and then I came back, and I was like, you know what? I want to see how bad they're down before I like turn it back on. It was kind of like a superstition thing, and I, I got curious, so I looked at my phone, and then I realized when you go on ESPN.com and you just click scores, it doesn't show up, and then you're like, that's right, because they're not ranked anymore. So then you've got to go scores, and you've got to go Big Ten. You know, you got to click like three different. The more clicks you have to make to find your team score, the, the worse your season probably is yeah, going. That's what I have to do with Notre Dame. A lot. And yes, it's very frustrating. Uh, or not to be confused with frustrating, which is what it's doing outside right now. Um, God, Indiana in the first half. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Indiana in the first half. You know, they're hanging around. It's like 15-14. They've got the lead. And all you had to do was watch the half-court sets of each team to see, in my opinion, what appeared to be two teams that that are coached entirely in different ways. Give credit to Penn State and Micah Shrewsbury because they their ball movement, they might not have, sure, they don't have five-star guys. They don't have guys that, when they signed with Penn State, there was you know an even further amount of money that were or a higher amount of money that was deposited into the Nittany Lion NIL accounts. They probably don't have um, you know some podcast guys called like and I you know the Nittany Crazies that do cigar smoking videos when they sign the recruits. But what they do do is they. 
they rotate the ball really well, they find open shooters, and they get guys in position on the perimeter where they have dead-on looks where they're able to square up because of the way that they move the ball around and the precision in which they worked offensively. Indiana offensively, so I'm watching the game, and Penn State hits a three and like goes up two. And then Indiana comes down, and I, I think it was on four straight possessions. They're trying to feed the post to Trace Jackson Davis. One of them, the pass just goes eight feet over his head. One of them, that, that you know, he he wasn't in position, and so it gets batted around, and Penn State steals it. Then they come down and they just run their set and hit shots. And before you know it, you're down six, you're down ten, and and the bottom falls out. And Trace Jackson Davis is a wonderful player. Jalen Hood Shafino is a talented outside player, undoubtedly. But you can't sit here and tell me that Indiana is handicapped because of the fact that two starters are out when you have multiple players on the floor that are supposedly top 30, top 50 players within their recruiting class and etc. Malik Renault might be a, like recruit number 30 in the country or whatever it was. That guy doesn't have a clue what he's supposed to do. And that's not to say that he's not a sharp guy. I have no idea. But he looks like he has yet to have anybody even teach him the first thing about how to play basketball, let alone how to play Indiana basketball. Yeah, I said this earlier, Jake. I think it's worth mentioning again. I think the injury excuses are extremely lazy uh, to the degree that you think it's acceptable getting run off the floor at Penn State. IU had eight guys score last night in the game. Eight guys. They're recruiting rankings. Three of them are five stars. Three of them are four stars. And two of them are three stars. Penn State had seven guys score in the game last night. Five of them are three stars. And two of them got the old goose egg star. They were lucky to be in the database. And one of them had 23, by the way, last night against Indiana. So this is not IU having injuries and throwing out Tijon Job and baseball players like they did in the first year of the Tom Crean <laughs> era. I think Crean actually dressed a manager from the Mike Santos coming to mind late in that season. Um, it, it, it's embarrassing to go through a Big Ten schedule so far, and, and let's go through the murderer's row of the Big Ten schedule for Indiana so far, okay? Uh, Rutgers, Nebraska, Iowa, Northwestern and Penn State. <laughs> Those are the five Big Ten games. So it's not even like they're playing the upper echelon of the Big Ten, and yet they've allowed at least 80 in each of their last three Big Ten games, allowed 80 to Kansas and Arizona. Um, that's five straight games that they've allowed that amount to the high major teams like this is a team right now that i know a lot of people were laughing yesterday oh did you see the latest bracketology joe lenardi's got indiana playing kentucky in the first round and houston's the one seed how funny that would be jake we, we got to stop talking about any sort of march you, you, you got to get to march and right now this is a team that when you look at the schedule it's gonna be a fight to make the tournament indiana's problem is the following and I grew up in the golden era of Indiana basketball. I realized Branch McCracken had a golden era as well, so no disrespect there. But I grew up in, the, in terms of its relevance within the state and the culture of this state, I grew up in the golden era of Indiana basketball. And I think the challenge that Indiana has now, or one of the challenges, is that the people of influence 
And by the people of influence, I mean alumni, people that buy tickets, people that make contributions to the university, people that have voice about the direction of the athletic programs down there. Would we go the board of trustees? The board of trustees. Quinn Buckner? You know, the... I think there are a lot of people that think that Indiana is still in that golden era that I grew up in. It's not. And it is a hard pill to swallow to realize that Indiana, for the last 25 years, yes, they have had some very good teams in that time. Tom Crean got them the number one overall seed in the tournament. They were ranked number one in the country at different intervals. But I think that people fail to realize that Indiana basketball now is suddenly Minnesota or Iowa State or Missouri, and it is no longer Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina. And for that reason, I think that Indiana has developed a complacency thinking that simply being Indiana is enough, that it's enough in terms of recruits, that it's enough in terms of intimidating other teams, that it's enough in terms of the style that they play just automatically puts them in position it's not reality yes they have elevated the their recruiting profile i guess based on the fact that they are casting a wider net to go out and get guys but i don't think that they are recruiting to as you mentioned earlier kevin it it was such a good point they're not good they're not good at putting the puzzle together. They can get good pieces, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're big pieces that fit together as a puzzle. Unlike West Lafayette. Correct. That is exactly correct. You know you know who's not worried about how many stars Malik Renault has? You know who's not worried about how many stars Braden Smith didn't have? You know who's not worried about whether or not, you know... Zach Eady coming out of Canada was a big enough or had enough AAU time. Matt Painter's not worried about that stuff. He goes out and gets guys that are good for Purdue basketball. Indiana is worried about getting guys that are good for message boards. And that's the difference. And they look like guys that are all playing for themselves. They're playing for their NIL money. They're playing for their pigs.com message board pats on the back and they're playing for their own particular brand that's what they look like yeah you're getting some chirping on social media from players as well never a good sign uh hosting wisconsin coming up saturday afternoon as i mentioned earlier this is not the big 10 that we're used to indiana only has three games the rest of the season currently against ranked teams two of those purdue and then saturday with Wisconsin, they've yet to play Purdue, Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Ohio State. Can look at that two ways: glass half full, opportunity to beat teams that you would consider to be some of the better in the Big Ten. Glass half empty, the schedule is about to get a lot tougher in the Big Ten. Again, they just don't look well coached. I, I hate to say that because I know that. Yeah, and, I, and this has always been my issue, Kevin. I would agree, especially on the defensive end. This which, is what makes me angry. What makes me frustrated and angry about Indiana basketball is the fo- and I I had no problem. I thought Mike Woodson was actually a pretty decent hire, but I think that Indiana too quickly went with Mike Woodson wasn't going anywhere. You could have gotten Mike Woodson six months after you got him, and I I I know that it was a little outside the box, but it felt like Mike Woodson felt like Indiana's Jeff Saturday, the guy that like was the fallback safety school, and. What did what did Kansas do when Roy Williams left for North Carolina? 
Kansas said, you know what, We who is the best coach right now in the country? Yeah. That Bill Self at Illinois is doing a hell of a job. He did a great job at Tulsa. Let's go out and get Bill Self. What did Kentucky do when they when, when Billy Gillespie was a disaster? Kentucky said, you know what, this guy, after two years, this ain't it. So what did they do? They went out and said, who is the best guy out there? John Calipari's won everywhere he's been. He won at UMass. He won at Memphis. Let's just go get our guy. And that's what they did. North Carolina, when they realized that Matt Doherty was a disaster... They said, you know what, let's, let's just cut ties right now. And that's a guy that's within the program. And then they said, we need Roy Williams because he's a guy that is from North Carolina. Let's just go get him. He turned it down one time. Let's make it so he can't turn it down another. Is IU attractive enough to get those guys? At one time they were and they slept on it. In my, That's a great point. And that's the problem. But Indi- but here's the problem. Like, Indiana- was Archie Miller the, the, the top of the college basketball ladder, quote-unquote, of coaches that would take the job? I think from the outside of people that don't understand college basketball, but I think inside the coaching circles, people would say, yeah, but you get a little bit of a demerit because Dayton has produced a lot of guys with that looked great coming out of Dayton. The, the, the problem for Indiana... The problem with Indiana for me is when when they and I get it you're not going to come right off of Bob Knight I get that but they Indiana has never just basically put a full page ad in the back of Sporting News saying preeminent program fertile recruiting ground avid fan base basketball not football school apply here Indiana has expected that people just would like come knocking down the door and that they didn't have to put out any feelers. And there was a time that might have been true, but that time's long gone. I'll never forget having a conversation with a big-time IU fan, very plugged into the AAU kind of whatever, booster circuit, however you want to describe it. And he was talking about Braden Smith a few years ago and watching Braden Smith play. I think this might have been after a sophomore year at Westfield and said to me something effective like, Purdue's going to get this guy, and IU fans are going to bang their heads against the wall for four years that that guy is not in Bloomington. And it's been, you know, whatever, two and a half months of Braid Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. And when you talk about, again, putting that puzzle together, it's just masterful how Matt Painter has handled things. And last night in Happy Valley, you got two notable guys out of the lineup without question. You also have a bunch of four and five stars that you recruited for a reason, theoretically, and yet they're losing by 20 on the road to Penn State. Indiana fans that are old enough to remember and long for Bob Knight's Indiana. And I know that that's like archaic and probably cheap and, and whatever to say on Sports Talk Radio. But Indiana fans, there's Bob Knight's Indiana teams is a part of the culture to a lot of people in this state of the way basketball, they love the fact that they played man-to-man and they love the fact that they always played great defense and that they were unselfish and that a guy like Steve Isle, who had been a great player in high school in the Cincinnati area, comes to Indiana and is perfectly happy being, or Brian Sloan, being a role player setting screens people that love that kind of thing people that love the way that indiana played people love people that love the fact that indiana didn't necessarily always have the top flight recruits versus a michigan or illinois but they felt like they were coached better and smarter players and 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 dictated the pace of the game. People that are fans of Indiana University basketball today that long for that have a hard pill to swallow in realizing that that is actually right there for them to watch each and every week, and it's in West Lafayette.
That's a hard pill for Indiana people to swallow. Honestly, Jake, if you're in my age group, you don't even look at Indiana in that light. Correct. Because I remember, Kevin, when I worked in St. Louis, my friend Cameron Dollar, who was an assistant at St. Louis University at the time and had played point guard at UCLA. Oh, yeah. I remember and, that name. And I asked Cameron Dollar, and it was when Mike Davis was going to get the job at Indiana full-time, and I said to him, Man, like what a situation for Mike Davis. Like this is like the best job in the country. And he said, what are you talking about? And I said, Indiana Indiana basketball. And he said, Indiana's not the best job in the country. And I said, are you kidding me? Like Bob And he said, Jake, first off, it's not right now because nobody wants to immediately follow Bob Knight. I get that. And he said, but Indiana hasn't been elite in 10 years. And that was coming off of the, the end of the night era. Well, I mean, since then. So that was, and that was over 20 years ago. Right. I mean, you're approaching a... a I would say in the next year or two, Jake, the entire roster for Indiana basketball, none of them were alive the last time IU made an Elite Eight. Yeah. And yet, if you look in the state, Butler's made what? Two. I guess Butler's made two national championship games. Notre Dame's made two. Purdue has made one. I mean, well, I'm like, trying to e- think e- you know, every team in the state, if yeah, you Indiana's look at the last, last Elite Eight was what, 02? Yeah, it would have been the national yeah. runner up that year. Yeah. Uh, I know John wanted to talk a little IU basketball. Morning, John. Yeah, hey, so you both have the nails on the head, and actually I'll, I'll touch on a couple of things you both mentioned. Uh, Kevin, when you were talking about for Aiden Smith, and I'm an IU fan, I'm, I think, a couple of years younger than you, um, went to IU, and I still remember when, when Braden Smith was in high school, um, IU fans were saying we shouldn't recruit him because we're better than that, and we don't need recruits of his ranking, and now IU could surely use a second point guard. Um, I also think we're still very much living in the past and think, like you said, Jake, we're a blue blood program and think that the four and five stars are the way to go. But frankly, they look like two and three stars and they play like they did last night. I mean, it's great to go out and get great pieces, but they still need to be coached. And I think Indiana fans are going to tire, John, of hearing Mike Woodson say the same thing after every game. I I need to coach him better. I need to do better. Uh, Yeah. You know, I know there's probably like six or seven things that, make a program qualify as blue blood, elite, coveted job, et cetera, et cetera. I still think IU has several of those characteristics in terms of resources that they're willing to invest, facilities, fan investment. You know, I, I still think there are some things there. It's just the product on the floor has not been one of them for quite some time. So, again, Indiana last night, they lose by 19 at Penn State coming up on... Saturday, they host Wisconsin. Uh, the Pacers last night, they lose 119-113 at Madison Square Garden. You know, selfishly, Jake, outside of the injuries, I was just kind of bummed that all of a sudden from like 5 o'clock to 7 o'clock, three of the Pacers' better players were ruled out of the game. I was really looking forward uh, to last night. Miles Turner, back spasms. Like, what, half hour, 45 minutes before tip. Uh, Aaron Neesmith out due to illness. O'Shea said had a hamstring injury. He was out, and then Tyrese Halliburton leaves late in the third quarter. Left knee, left elbow. And really, for the first time all season, we're talking about notable injuries with the Pacers. And again, uh, Halliburton is a guy that just, he just doesn't miss time at all. So uh, he left the arena on crutches last night. Back-to-back coming up with the Hawks and Grizzlies this weekend. I think all attention, rightfully so, goes to Tyrese Halliburton and the update that uh, hopefully we'll get today on him. One of the things, if Halliburton is going to miss extended time, and I would say at this point, not knowing the the depth of the injury, time missed is at the very least going to be an accurate prediction, Kevin. A guy that's become important in those moments 
is Andrew Nimhard. I think Nimhard needs to be the starting point guard. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. If, if when how and a guy, I mean, this is a guy that when he, you know, when they in camp, it was like, well, you know, if he can give him some minutes this year, that's good. And he's become Kevin. I mean, he's on the floor in critical minutes now. Like you want him on the floor, and again, he's he's been your pocket knife. He he's been a little bit of everything. Totally. I think yep. now it's put the ball in his hands. It, did, if, did you ever have a pocket knife? I always loved my dad's. Yeah, I'd always kind of take it out and look what's at it. What's the least used thing on the Swiss Army knife? What, what's the thing? It's got to be the toothpick, right? I, I was isn't like they're a little scissors the thing. Scissors. I'm like, well, it's got to be. The what scissors. can that effectively cut? It's got to be the scissors. Hangnail? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I just th- that's the one that I was always kind of. You don't. The, you don't think the toothpick comes in handy? Uh, who wants to use that thing though? Jake, then put it back. Like I'll use this later. <laughs> Let's play it's hypothetical. Like Got a piece of jerky stuck in my teeth. I'll save this for later. Do you, I mean, jerky is the perfect food for someone that has a pocket knife, right? You blow your nose and then put it back in your pocket. My That's also did. equally disgusting. Yeah, that, you were that, saying, I'm glad Kevin? that trend died a long time. <laughs> let's play hypothetical for a second, and a part of me is like, eh, let's not do this until we get official injury word. But whatever. Let's say Halburn's out a month. NBA trade trade deadline is four weeks from today. Should that impact what you do in the next four weeks at all? No. Because I don't think that Indiana ever... Anything that happens this year for the Pacers is gravy. So I, I don't think that you mortgage what you have right now. I'm sorry, your future from that, I mean, in, to better you at this point right now. Right? Well, f- flip that around. You, you just use it as a buyer. What about as a seller? If you were to be out for an extended period of time, is that a reminder or maybe a look into Kevin Pritchard's eyes of like, man, it's unfortunate, but this is probably a sign that like we still need to think really, really big picture and potentially move one of the veterans that have played really good basketball for you this for year. For what, though? For a future piece, pick, whatever. Again, I, 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 I may still be alone on the same island that I was on a month ago when I said that the Colts should examine trading Jonathan Taylor. Maybe Wilson is with me on the island, and that's it at this point. But I also believe that for the Pacers, part of that long-term vision includes both Miles Turner and Buddy Heald. And that they they are they have gotten enough bonus from Andrew Nimhard, for example, and Aaron Neesmith. Those guys have been able to give them and fulfill roles for them early enough now that you've seen enough body of work to know you can run with those guys. And so the addition that you need comes from the picks you still have waiting in the wings upcoming as opposed to the necessity to go out and get things for them because I think you have it. Was there ever an air pump on the island for Wilson? I think there was, wasn't there? I mean, he had he had the VHS tapes, right? I just kind of thought, I thought about that. He started that. like getting flat towards the end because he was there for years. Well, yeah, and I would think it would be more weeks, you know. Yeah, <laughs> that's really good ability to. Retain air by Wilson. I mean, it's probably why the company has lasted as long to, as it has. To be fair, if you're stuck, I love on a the, good Wilson evolution. You're stuck on the island with just a volleyball, and it starts to go flat. I'll bet you. Could, I mean, you got nothing to do all day but figure out ways to take care of the problem, right? 
a lot of resources around. You got a pocket knife to help us out here with that situation? Uh, his scissors are coming did, in handy, did finally. He, did he have a Swiss Army knife with a small air pump on it? Is that what it was? Yeah, we need someone to invent that. Uh, Scott Agnes, talk more about the Pacers coming up in about five minutes. For now, it is a morning checkdown. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We'll begin with the Pacers last night, as we had talked about. Down 25 at one point, roaring back, give them credit for that, but losing to New York in Madison Square Garden, 119-113. Kev, as we talked about, the big story was not necessarily how the game finished, but who was not finishing the game for them. Yeah, again, Tyrese Halliburton and Miles Turner. Well, I guess Halliburton left late third quarter. Turner, again, ruled out early. For more on both of those situations, here was Rick Carlisle afterwards. You know, we finished our team meeting. And and then as the players got up to go out, um, Miles Turner had a, had a spasm reaction in his back, and so they tightened up uh, pretty significantly. So trainers worked on it for a while, and all of a sudden he was ruled out. Um, he's not been traded, as I guess Twitter is blowing up saying that he must be, he must be that he's getting traded. <laughs> Believe me, I have no I have no interest in trading Miles Turner. Um, but anyhow, um, and then uh, Tyrese uh, on the fall, and I believe it was the third quarter, uh, left elbow, left knee. Um, he's going to leave the building on crutches, just so everybody's aware. Um, and he'll get checked out tomorrow. We hope it's not serious. Was there somebody snoring at the end of that? Did you hear that? I mean, not. That, I'm not saying that Carlisle didn't have a lot of energy there, but it sounded like somebody was snoring. Back James spasm. Dolan catching a quick snooze. <laughs> back, back, back spasm, big guy worry you at all? Not ideal, uh, but I do think that's what it was. I don't think that he was, you know, traded as Carlisle. Yeah, and I don't. I didn't see much on Twitter about that. Maybe I was not on the right thread. Maybe. I did see people that were like, oh my gosh, what does this mean? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean. Does Rick Carlisle have a Twitter? Well, that's a good question. Do you think he's got a burner account? Oh, yeah. 1,000%. Wouldn't be the first basketball coach with that, right? No, definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> uh, Indiana last night in Happy Valley. What was the final? 85-66? That is correct. Is that right? Users 10-6 and, and 1-4 in the league. Outscored by 42 points from behind the arc. Penn State 18-31 of 31 from 3. Indiana 4-14. Four of 14. So, we mentioned yesterday... Uh, when will reality set in for Indiana's perimeter shooting? Well, last night was a step in that direction. Afterwards, Mike Woodson on the third straight loss. Well, I got to manage it. You know, I mean, we got some young guys. You know, our, our two veterans are sitting on the side, and they're not coming through that door anytime soon. So, you know, I'm going to have to manage it. You know, our guys are a little down right now, and they should be. They got smacked in the face tonight. And, you know, my thing is we're just – we're not competing. At all. And, and that's on me. You know, I got to get us competing harder and stronger. And we're not, not doing that. You know, we was awful in garden. We had a good game plan going in. And we just, I mean, half of the threes, we're right there with a hand and hoping that they miss instead of just getting into the ball and making them put it down. Funky Comadina. It does feel like the same, same verse, right? Same verse over and over for... Mm-hmm. 
Andrew Funk was 23 last night for Penn State, by the way. Uh, Sad news in the world of football from yesterday. 1979 Heisman Trophy winner Charles White, who had a 2,005-yard rushing season in his final year with Southern California before venturing into the NFL with the Cleveland Browns, passing away at the age of 64. He had suffered from liver cancer and dementia, most notably in the NFL known in 1987 for the Comeback Player of the Year after some off-field things had kind of derailed him a little bit. Got his life in order, reunited with John Robinson as college head coach with the L.A. Rams. Five straight games of 100 yards or more for the Rams. That was critical for the Rams that year because they had just traded Eric Dickerson to Indianapolis. Uh, we'll get more into this coming up a little bit later in the 8 o'clock hour, 9 o'clock hour. Bubba Ventrone interviews for the Colts head coaching job yesterday. It's a team special teams coordinator from this past season. Been there the entire Frank Reich era. Reportedly, Raheem Morris on Friday and Shane Steichen on Saturday. So we'll explain a little bit more into both of those guys coming up later in the show. Coming up next, though, Scott Agnes gets us updated, unfortunately, on some Pacers injuries. We'll do that after the break. Well, this is the uh, play to the PBR. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Our party? Oh, absolutely. By the way, we have a um, an unnamed, and I, I want to be clear here because they asked to be anonymous. Okay. Uh, we have an unnamed, shall I say donor, I guess, that has offered to... Um, offer up a pizza and dining establishment that could host our PBR party. Let's go! Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, must be 21, by the way. Uh, to be fair, donors probably, sound, it sounds too high and mighty for us. Yeah, donor, well, and that, there may be a price tag. I don't know. I, that, that has yet to be confirmed. Well, you guys have already eaten into half of my potential winnings here coming up. Do I need cross-reference with my wife on this? Pacers get to 30. Oh, yeah, yeah, but all that money that was promising, it's actually going to go to a PBR keg. i get three of them. You've earned <laughs> it after that season if you have to sweat out Again, 30 wins. this all came about because this morning, uh, just before we get to Scott Agnes here, I will tell you that this morning I got the following text um, from very early this morning, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic, uh, that simply said, hey, Jake, you know, what I want to know here is as the unofficial, I'm trying to find the, the text here. I didn't plan this out very well, did I? Um, okay. The unofficial but official Pacers Fan Association has concluded that Kevin's windfall from his Pacers 30 plus win bet must fund the not so imaginary PBR party hosted by the homie JQ at whatever not so imaginary venue JQ chooses. This is homie official. JQ. Signed the unofficial but official president of the Kevin and Clary Pacer Fan 30 plus win windfall bet PBR party association, Percy. There we go. I love that. <laughs> Percy? Percy's his name? Yeah, Percy, Percy Harvin? Uh, let's see. Let me find the last name on Percy. Uh, but Percy, again, and, I, and I've been named him treasurer as well. He's not just president, no, perfect. but he's treasurer as well because he's going to oversee, obviously, the money. Uh, Percy Bland. Certainly getting an invite to the party would be Jake's fellow North Central Panther. That would be Scott Agnes. He is with us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, we've talked, unfortunately, a lot about injuries. It's not something we've done a lot this season, but probably... After a game, I would say last night's the most. There's been injury conversation for the Pacers this year. Um, anything further you can add on Miles Turner and or Tyrese Halliburton? 
Yeah, nothing. Tyrese obviously leaving the arena in crutches. His left knee, same knee he did have it years ago, so I was tracking that. And then with Miles Turner, just kind of back spasms that popped up. Claire. Or right after the Scott, we're gonna we're gonna reset with you because you're giving us some good info and and you were cutting in and out a little bit there. Did you catch that left knee a few years ago for Halliburton? I the well, let's let's set for this for those that didn't see it. He 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 kind of landed awkwardly and it was not just the knee but kind of his like his elbow wrist right in the way he landed. He stepped, but it was he got stepped on his right foot by Josh Hartenstein who's huge. And like you said, Jake, he landed, I'd say, more on the left side. And it was a hard, awkward, twisting fall. Uh, his shoe came off. He kind of limped to the locker room. And then, as Rick Carlisle said afterwards, left on crutches. Scott, thanks for um, getting back with us. Okay, you said Halliburton had a left knee issue a few years ago? Yeah, I was just saying same knee as he had a, a bone bruise hyperextension to that same knee a couple of years ago. Um, and then, as you said, left the arena on crutches, and they'll learn more here today. The team is not practicing, and I'm sure all the focus will be on, on Halliburton and the other injuries. Miles, back issues in his career, I, I obviously the foot stuff the last couple of years, anything back-related for him? Not that I can remember off the top of my head. Um, no, he, he usually has more exterior, meaning uh, foot, ankle, hand, um, off the top of my head. So that that one surprised me a great deal. I asked this question to Jake earlier, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but you know, considering how it looked, considering Rick Carlisle said, we hope it's not serious, if Halliburton is going to miss an extended period of time, four weeks from today is the trade deadline, should that influence what the Pacers do at all? Uh, perhaps a little bit, yeah. But I think the main thing, again, is just the big picture. And it's what you like about this group as, moving forward. Uh, I thought it was interesting post-game last night. Rick said um, something to the effect of, we're trying to do something very difficult here. That's develop young players and continue to win. So I thought that kind of answered a question a lot of people may have had. Um, you know about you know the team's goals or anything like that about what they're trying to get accomplished here, and they're trying to win. And at the same time, they've they've set a culture. Now they're trying to keep that culture uh, and have fun doing it. And so um, I, I think ultimately it just comes down to what offers are out there. And then again, the, the big miles question is how much would it cost to keep him here? Scott, in your opinion, like let's say Tyrese Halliburton misses extended time. Give me the two guys that we mentioned earlier, Swiss Army Knives, that are kind of Swiss Army Knives for Indiana that can slide over and play different roles or move around a little bit uh, that kind of can fill the void. Nobody fills the void of Tyrese Halliburton, but guys that would help soften the blow because of their versatility. Well, yeah, the good news is they have a lot of depth in the backcourt, almost too much. That's kind of been the problem of trying to feed everyone. Um, the number one guy would obviously be Andrew Nemhard. Um, he's kind of done it all, mostly in a defensive role and a secondary guard off the ball role, but he could certainly take on more of the minutes. We saw last night Andrew and TJ McConnell uh, each playing the entire fourth quarter. So there's a, 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 a somewhat of a hit 
right there. And then on top of that, I think you'd hope Dorte gets back into it. Um, he could handle some. Matherin, uh, we haven't really seen him handle the ball, but that's another guy that could see his minutes potentially go up. So they do have the depth in the backcourt. Yeah, I was saying to Jake earlier, I just think for short-term and long-term, it makes the most sense to me to play Nemhart at point guard. It keeps McConnell with that second unit, which clearly is something like Rick likes to keep those units together and then obviously you help Nemhard grow with that starting group as a point guard which is what he was at Gonzaga. Scott Agnes is with us from Fieldhouse Files here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. To that point you were making earlier Scott about Rick's comments post game finding the balance between trying to grow and develop and also win. It was odd to me that James Johnson started. Like when I saw the Isaiah Jackson or excuse me when I saw the Miles Turner news I'm thinking oh it's going to be a good opportunity for Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith to start and play extended minutes. And instead, first time down the floor, it's James Johnson not only starting, but the dude's taking the first shot of the game. Yeah, so here's what I, I'm, I'm feeling from that. I don't know for sure because I obviously wasn't there and talking with Rick. For one, Jalen was already uh, going to start because Aaron Neesmith was out. So they were going to go back to their previous starting lineup with two bigs, Jalen and Miles. That was the original starting lineup. Got it. Then, then Miles is unable to play because of back spasms. And I think this is, let's have the, as little disruption as we can. Um, so let's, meaning to your previous point of keeping rotations the same, um, and I think that's what that was about. It didn't work out. I, I was not a fan either. I probably would have slotted in Matherin um, just because uh, the scoring, and, and they've had success with this four-guard lineup really ever since the last time they played the Knicks a couple or three or four weeks ago here. Um, so that's what I was expecting, um, and it's clear they, they moved on from that and then also did some different things deep defensively schematically in that second half and Johnson didn't re- return to the floor. Scott, there was a time Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. There was a time probably two years ago and I think you and I have talked about it where of all people Goga had some trade value around the league I think because of the intrigue about him. He hasn't necessarily diminished that value because I don't know how many opportunities he's really gotten, and you know he's serviceable when he's out there. In terms of like, if they wanted to add a second round pick or just free things up, does he have any value? You think at all? I, I don't know. I don't think so. It, mainly because he's an expiring contract. Um, that's what, to your point, over the last couple of years, that's where his value would have actually decreased because you would not have had him on a rookie deal. And, and that early control. So his yeah, he'll be in, he's in a contract year like Miles, um, and is firmly out of the rotation. I'm not sure you could get a can of PBR for him, to be honest with you, Jake. Um, I, I I don't disagree, Kevin. But like I mean, there was Scott might disagree with me here, but I mean, I talked to somebody, and it might have been two years ago, that said that of the players on the roster, he was one that people had an intrigue about. I think just because they didn't know exactly, you know, he was an unknown commodity. Yeah, I mean, I get the European guys takes a little bit longer, right. but yeah. Uh, Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, it's the first time we've talked with you since the Mark Stein news from over the weekend, and that was, and 
feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but basically that the Miles Turner camp has turned down the initial contract extension from the Pacers. And again, I don't know if I have that language 100% right, but uh, we've got a month or four weeks from today, the uh, NBA trade deadline. What did you make, if anything, of that news? Yeah, one last thing, too, on, on Goga, um, just with all of that. I think he's a guy that needs 20-plus minutes per game. And so that's that's the big thing here. And if you're a team that can offer that, then, yeah, something would interest me with, with Goga and giving him an opportunity. Um, in terms of Miles, uh, in, in this contract extension, renegotiation, does something come out of it? Um, I, I've not heard directly what Mark, Mark had. Um, I don't doubt it by any means. I can just tell you, one, it's a little far out. Uh, you're about a month out here. And so generally things don't happen right now. Uh, it's, and that's why I laughed after the game last night. Rick Carlisle was saying, hey, you know, some of you, you know, I know, I guess Twitter was a buzz with people thinking Miles got traded because he's not playing. I'm sitting there thinking that didn't even actually cross my mind, but he's right, probably. Like, um, but it's early January. Those things generally don't happen for another month. Um, where we're at right now, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I think it's good, though, if the two sides are able to start having discussions. Um, whether there was a formal offer made and a formal rejection, I don't know. Which do you think is stronger? The Pacers' intent to keep Miles Turner or Miles Turner's openness to staying in Indiana? I would say the Pacers willing to keep Miles. Um, And I say that just because of all the different things I've listed previously about Miles, his situation, him wanting, uh, like any player, to maximize his contract value uh, in terms of just being his probably last big contract that he'll be able to sign. Uh, And then... I will say, though, Miles' loyalty to the city and the franchise has not wavered. There's just that factor that this is the first time in his career where he could have the opportunity to pick any franchise to sign with, and so you have to consider that opportunity. Scott, I enjoyed a piece you had up on Fieldhouse Files. You talked to um, a scout from around the league and kind of gave a little bit of a a insight into what they have observed with the Pacers this season. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I appreciate it. Um, it was just one of those things. I was like, you know what? Let's. Uh, we talked. I talked to kind of a lot of the same people, uh, especially with the Pacers, every single day and such. Let's get an outside voice. See if they're seeing the same type of things. And um, more than anything, I think of interest to fans is him saying, "Yeah, when you have something like this that just clicks, that just works." I can't imagine you do too much at a trade deadline. Uh, teams seek out what the Pacers have right now in terms of team chemistry and so you would you don't really want to disrupt that before we let you go and again Scott Agnes with us Fieldhouse Files do you make anything or do you think it's any sort of optimism that Tyrese Halliburton was originally listed as questionable late third quarter and then a few minutes later was ruled out like is that a little bit of a positive that it might not be like serious ligament damage uh, I don't look into that too much, only no. because the previous game, TJ McConnell went to the back to the locker room and was ruled out or as ruled as questionable with that shoulder injury. When 
after the game, Rick was like, yeah, there's no way he was coming back. And then it turns out after further tests, it was just kind of a stinger. But um, so, no, I, I don't re- look into that. Um, but I, initially, after those injuries, they don't know too much in the first first little bit. But then, of course, doctors are doing, you know, the standard tests. Um, but, but to your point, no, I did not have an initial takeaway from that. The crutches is, is ones that suggest swelling and, and maybe more pain, a bone bruise or something, um, just off that. And no practice right today. So any update probably comes from a Woj bomb. Uh, tomorrow or tomorrow before Pacers, um, practice. But yeah, to your point, um, Pacers visited New York and for the second straight visit, uh, one of the Pacers sat down with Woj on his podcast. It was Miles last time and Tyrese yesterday. Uh, Pacers, by the way, back in action tomorrow night against Atlanta, and then it is Memphis on Saturday, both games at the Fieldhouse. Uh, Scott, appreciate it. We'll read about it on Fieldhouse Files, all right? Very well. Thanks, guys. All right, Scott Agnes on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jake mentioned this earlier, but boy, Chris Duarte cannot throw it in the ocean right now. He is four of his last 30. He just feels like... And if you want to go a step further, seven of his last 45. It it feels like not, and this is not a knock on him at all, but just he is one guy that if you look at the depth of the Pacers that his style of play or what he needs to be facilitated in offensively to be in rhythm probably necessitates for him to be more involved as opposed to peripheral. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you know, him and Benedict Mather in that second unit, those are two dudes that probably want to dominate the ball. Right, good way of saying it. And I think that's a bit difficult. Um, So yeah, has not been a good second season for Chris Duarte. Of course, had the ankle injury and missed a lot of time with that. We'll get into the Colts conversation coming up next. Zach Kiefer joins us in 10 minutes. We don't actually do a lot of small talk during the break. Everybody kind of resets. Uh, and then, Mark, you broke the silence by saying you had a question for us. Yeah, so there was this was posed from a listener yesterday in a DM uh, we received on our show Twitter page. I uh, said, so that's actually... Is your mic on, Mark, or am I just... Yeah, it's on. Okay. Yeah. My headset's just having issues. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, he's uh, Dustin sent me a DM on our show Twitter page about a possible... He said he, he prefaced it with, crazy thought or is this genius? And this is regarding the Colts' uh, possibilities of trading. Oh, sounds like Jake. Crazy thought. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, he actually prefaced this. He didn't just say oh, it out loud. Okay. Got it. Uh, so Dustin said, crazy thought or is this genius? Trade back in the draft to get multiple first-round picks and then draft Stenson Bennett in later rounds. Would you rather draft a top QB like Young or Stroud or a top offensive lineman and tight end, maybe Mayer or Bowers and Bennett? So would you rather have a top offensive lineman and tight end and draft Stenson Bennett or get a top QB and have to trade up? Not a fan of the idea. Here's a better way of asking it. And I'm not saying that there's a definitive answer here. Is it easier to have a great offensive line make an above or excuse me is it easier to have a great offensive line make an average quarterback serviceable or have a great quarterback make an average offensive line serviceable you definitely need offensive line help like i don't want to diminish that but jake you pay quarterbacks 30 some million for a reason they're supposed to lift everyone else you don't pay an offensive line i mean look at what the colts just had they highest paid offensive line this past season that didn't lift 
this football team. Um, so I, I, I am not a fan of that. For what it's worth, I, Brock Bowers does have to go back to Georgia for another year. Um, yeah, I am not a fan on Stetson Bennett being your franchise quarterback. Doesn't he want to go to law school? Didn't I hear that? He's got the name for it. Yeah, Stetson Bennett. I'm a second year. I mean, I could see a team taking a flyer on him, but I don't know if you want him to be your. I mean, what did we your, say? He's yes. your answer after all that. Yeah, I, I think know. on Tuesday I threw out to you guys over under Stetson Bennett being drafted by the halfway through the fourth round. I mean, do you want your franchise quarterback to be around that area? With the 258th pick. He's fast as hell, though. New England Patriots select Stetson Bennett, quarterback, oh, University of Georgia. That's for sure happening. <laughs> the, I get the idea, but no. The scenario that you played out there, to me, is plausible if you go with Hendon Hooker like in the third round mm-hmm. or the second round, and that's about it. More often than not... Chris Ballard Bow- probably loves that idea. I know that people are going to throw Tom Brady's name at me, and I get that. But more often than not, quarterbacks that fall past round three, there's a reason they fell past round three, right? Now, there was a fella that that adamantly argued with me for like a year straight that wanted to bet, but he never actually ponied and pushed in on the wager, uh, but was steadfast to me because of my Clemson fandom, that Jacob Eason would be a better pro quarterback with a longer career than Trevor Lawrence. Whoa. I don't know about that one. Yeah, he's struggling on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Is it, can we, do we, have we seen enough now to call that election? I think so. Okay. Probably could have called it a while ago. Yeah, I'm looking at, I know I've mentioned the AFC quarterbacks, the NFC quarterbacks. Obviously, Brady was after round four. Was Dak Prescott, was he round four? I thought he was third. Gino, uh, he, was, he was, Dak Prescott was four, four or five. Gino was round two. Daniel Jones, the top ten pick. Kirk Cousins was, what, three. San Francisco, I guess they all kind of run together with all of them starting a handful of games. Jalen Hurts round two. So, yeah, I just, no, I... I think you're really looking looking for the outlier there. I feel like that's another. If you if you do go that route, that would be another like kicking the can down the road because it's not really like a legit answer. You're just kind of like, well, we're seeing what we can do here, and yeah. you know, an experiment. Yeah. yeah. Again, the latest on the Colts head coaching search. We'll chat more. Zach Kiefer coming up next. Just a brief rundown. Bubba Ventrone interviewed yesterday. It's being reported that Friday you will have Raheem Morris. That is the DC for the Rams. Ben Johnson. That's the Brad Stevens vibes I get. Uh, He's the OC from the Lions. And then Saturday, Shane Steichen with the Eagles. So things appearing to ramp up on the Colts head coaching search front. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Zach Kiefer, we'll talk more about that next. We'll get in the Colts conversation coming up in a few with Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Um, Jake, obviously, you know, a lot of attention around Tyrese Halliburton and his left elbow, left knee injury from last night. 
Um, outside of that, though, this is kind of a fun back-to-back for the Pacers this weekend. Hawks at home tomorrow night. Grizzlies Saturday night. Uh, the Grizzlies have won eight in a row. And again, if I were making a list of who I would pay to watch in professional sports, I think John Morant would be near, near the top. Totally. And to be fair, even though the team's not playing very well, Trey Young would be one as well. He's pretty fun yeah, to watch. Yeah, he was out due to illness last night, so we'll see about tomorrow night. And of course, Memphis has got all the other Indiana ties on their roster. Um, okay, rundown on the Colts head coaching search where we're at right now. Bubba Ventrone interviewed yesterday. That is the first official interview for the Colts. It is being reported that Giro Avero, that is the defensive coordinator of the Broncos, will be interviewing today. Tomorrow on the slate, Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator, Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator, and then Saturday, Shane Steichen, Eagles offensive coordinator. May I ask a really dumb question? Sure. I I think maybe, excuse me? I said sure, always. Thank you. I, I think this might have already taken place. And I'm I'm I apologize for the absurdity of even asking this, but did Jeff Saturday already have an, like an official interview or is that just one of those that's kind of like Yeah, he had eight games. Did you not see him? Yeah, I, I mean I get it, right? That's my point. But. Uh yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying there. Um I'm under the impression the Colts are announcing when these interviews are are complete, right? And so far, they've only announced Bubba Ventrone as complete. So, I don't know if there was some sort of process for Saturday within the building of hey, I, I don't know exit interviews or what. Do they feel like they need to get these guys interviewed right now? Like in Steichen's case, he's got a game next week, so you got to interview him right now, or. You can't interview him once the Eagles start playing playoff games. I don't know if there's more of an urgency from the Colts to say, well, no one is calling about Jeff Saturday. We can probably wait to interview him. Like, let's interview these guys that are being sought after in other places. I mean, I Steichen, what- Avero, Morris, Johnson, all these guys are interviewing in several places. Carolina, Houston, Arizona. So, I think that has more to do with we haven't seen Saturday I wonder yet. what, like, a, and I'm sure it depends on who's doing it. What a head coaching interview sounds like, you know. Yeah, I'd be like, always curious. About okay, that. it's fourth and three. Would you go for it, or would you? Or is it more like? So, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, I mean, like, what what sort of questions do they ask there? Well, if Jake was sitting in on interviews, we certainly know that the tree question would be high top. Do you know Indiana State Bird? <laughs> it's the Cardinal. That's a fairly household uh, knowledge. Would you like to it? come to my PVR party? That now that is a very important. But peony that would get some people. That that would. Again, that's a that's not a um, that's a seasonal flower. See, uh, you want to bring Zach Kiefer in? I'm having some headset issues. I'm going to try and regroup with them. What are you doing over there? Your headset's falling apart. Your mic stand breaks. You know, it's on a one of the. I, I think we all have been here with cords in our life. You know how you got to get cords. the cord in the right perfect spot to like charge. Do people yeah. wear corduroy anymore? Stuff some corduroy pants I took from my dad. They were yeah, great. Yeah, that was always tricky during Duck Duck Goose in kindergarten. Everybody knew who it was if you had on the corduroy pants. Joining us now, I'm sure thrilled to be doing <laughs> so. Don't you remember when you used to play Duck Duck Goose or Seven Up? Did you ever play Seven Up? 
Thumbs up, seven was, up? Yeah, there was the one person that had to be the secret to go around and tap, and yeah. you knew if it was somebody that was wearing corduroy pants because it. When they walked Can past. we just get to Zach Kiefer? Okay. Headsets Zach, back on. Zach Kiefer now joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Of course, you can read Zach's work at The Athletic covering the Colts. And Zach, the year is over, but it seems like things are just starting to, to warm up in terms of the coverage here because now everything gets busy. We were just running down the names of candidates. I guess two-part question for you. The first would be, was there anybody whose name came out that the Colts will interview that surprised you? And is there anybody that you're still waiting for their name to come up because they've been rumored, but we haven't heard anything official? Well, that was a hard pivot, Jake, from from and from Duck Duck Goose. But sure, well, that's what I do. That's what I do. I, I got a lot sure of swivel in these hips. Um. Yeah, a couple of things on that front. Um, I'm not surprised by anybody that they're interviewing that's on their list right now. The name that's not on there is the surprise, Jim Harbaugh, so far. I don't get that, and I've tried to get some information. It's hard to get. I asked Chris Ballard point blank on Tuesday, and he wouldn't discuss the candidates. But I will say this on the coaching search. It's, it's going to take some time, as Ballard mentioned, but the vibe I've sort of gotten from people in the building are, okay, if Ballard's going to be back, which he is, Let's let him run the coaching search. Let's let him pick the coach. Let's let him draft the quarterback, and let's just see where this goes. But obviously you guys know as well as anybody that's not that simple, and that's not how it's going to go. And, and I think one thing I, I, I took away very clearly from Tuesday and from conversations I've had over the last couple of months, if indeed Jeff Saturday gets this full-time head coaching job, it will not be because Chris Ballard recommended him for the job. That's, that's pretty obvious to me. That'll be because Jim Irsay wanted him to stay. And I feel like that just that just sows more division within the franchise. If it's not the GM picking the coach, doesn't that just kind of leave Chris Ballard in no man's land? Further, further in no man's land where he's been the last couple months. Zach, let's let's focus there for a second. Um, again, Zach Kiefer's with us from the Athletic. You know, if you you talk with us every Thursday, and we greatly appreciate that. Of course, a couple Thursdays ago, I would have put it probably at a coin flip that Jeff Saturday gets his job permanently. I don't think I'm there anymore. I think I've softened a little bit on that. Having said that, Jim Mercy's been wooed before in, in interviews. Chuck Pagano being one of them. That I think would be the way that Jeff Saturday could re-enter. <laughs> this this you know legit legit candidate search yeah i'm with you on that like jeff's good in front of a tv camera he's good in front of us right good in front of players and and that's a real thing but this is really telling and i asked a lot of players this and i asked chris ballard this what did jeff do to make the team better like what did he do well as a coach and in some cases with matt ryan there was a long pause and he and he said something to the effect of He's a good leader. He's a good motivator. He showed up to work every day. I asked a lot of players, and I got similar responses. Now, I will say that Chuck Leonard said he wants Saturday to be the coach. But for the most part, and this was Ballard as well, you know, I think he said Jeff got better. Well, the team didn't get better. Anyone out there watching this, this show the last eight weeks saw that. But you're right, and, and I think Jeff Saturday could be a pretty impressive interview if you just take him at what he's saying. But the reality is this team got horrendously worse over the last eight games. And my sense is the same as yours. What what was maybe a stronger candidate in early December isn't quite as strong right now, even in Ursay's eyes. Now, I'm not speaking for Ursay because nobody knows what he's thinking at this very moment besides him. But 
the shine has dimmed a little bit on Jeff Saturday. There's just no escaping the fact that this team got worse in so many ways. They were competitive down the stretch, and they were historically—I mean, they were historically collapsing week after week. I mean, they. They can't just lean on these excuses that everything was Frank's fault and everything that Frank set up was was a, was a mess. Like I'm just not buying that. This is an organizational failure, and there's nothing Jeff Saturday did as a coach to make the team better. Was it an uphill climb? Absolutely, it was bad when he got here. But I just I just can't buy any tangible reasons why he would be a better candidate than almost anyone else on their list. Zach, I want to circle back to something you, you touched on there about the process of hiring a coach. How common do you believe it is? I mean, I know that, that Jim Ursay hired Tony Dungy, and that was with Bill Polian here, who was, you know, Bill Polian for the most part seemingly had autonomy. But Chris Ballard made no bones about the fact that he will conduct interviews and then make a recommendation, but Jim Ursay will make the hire and will make the selection. Do you believe that's common in the National Football League, or do you believe that most franchises, whoever is hired to be the president and or general manager, would be the one trusted to make that decision? No, it's not usually like that, Jake. And it hasn't usually been like that here. Jim Mercer has always said that he hires his GM to manage the team, and he hires his coach to coach the team. And only in very rare situations, hiring Tony Dungy, cutting Peyton Manning, drafting Andrew Luck, did he step in? Now, obviously, no, we, that's changed over the last 12 months. But the reality is the first time Chris Ballard led a coaching search, that was all Chris Ballard. It was Josh McDaniel. That was his pick. It was not Jim Irsay's pick. Now, I don't know if Jim had another pick, but Chris was zeroed in on McDaniels, and Irsay didn't get involved until the second interview when they went out to Boston and, and sat down with McDaniels' family. So, the second time around, when they landed on Frank Reich, Jim Irsay stepped in and had a little bit more of a say. This is different than they've done it in the past. Ryan Grigson hired Chuck Pagano. Ryan Grigson wanted Chuck Pagano to be his head coach. So a lot of owners will step back and let the GM pick their coach. A lot of owners don't make football decisions at all. So that's it's, 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 a, it's a delicate way of doing things. And I think in some instances, like Tony Dungy's hire here, it's absolutely the right move. But over the last couple of years, and I asked Chris Ballard this question point blank on Tuesday. I said, has Jim Mercer made decisions that have hurt this franchise? And I totally understand that that's not something that Chris can answer in front of a camera. And he said no. He said he's passionate. He wants this team to be great. All of these things can be true. But I think anybody looking at this objectively has to say that the, some of the moves this team has made at the request of the owner have hurt this franchise. But then again, it also helped them get the fourth overall pick. I thought it was interesting, Zach, and I, I, I've said this to others, as you know, that, that sometimes maybe I'm, I'm guilty of overthinking things, but I want you to tell me if I'm guilty of overthinking this. Chris Ballard was asked in the press conference, and it might have been by you, somebody asked the question of like, are you content with the level of voice you have or something along those lines? And he paused and said, I know where you're going with that. Yeah. And when he said, I know where you're going with that, I may be overthinking it. I took that as a Freudian. Yeah, I agree with you. In other words, you don't even need to say what you are insinuating. I know what you're insinuating because I know it's true. That's how I took that. Your thoughts. I think you're. I think you're hitting it. Like let's let's think about this. Like 
So everybody out there that's listening to your show right now that, that watched the press conference in early November when they hired Jeff Saturday, what did Chris Ballard's body language and face tell you? He was not on board with that decision. And everything I wrote last Friday in my long story in The Athletic about sort of the chaos behind the scenes of this season was proven right by what Chris Ballard said on Tuesday. He said, look, you know, he didn't say he didn't he wasn't on board with the Jeff Saturday decision, but he essentially did by saying, I voiced my concern. Chris Ballard has screwed up plenty of things in this city with this team, but he did not hire a TV analyst to come to come coach his team with eight games to go. Like, that just did not happen. We know who made that decision, and I think the question was a fair one. And then I asked him again later in that press conference, and this was another telling moment. I said, has your desire to be here wavered at all over the last couple of months? And I'm not saying Ballard is, look, he's, his hands are dirty in this. We, we don't need to get into that, the roster moves, the decisions, all that. But the fact that he's being usurped by his boss and Jim Mercer is overstepping and essentially making moves that are hurting the team that Ballard built even further, I think it's a completely fair question. And what he did was he paused for three or four seconds, which is an eternity in one of these press conferences, and he looked right at me, and he was almost getting emotional. And he said, no, I love being here. I don't want to be anywhere else. That's probably true. But I think he's had some tough moments this year, and I think he's had some moments that have made him think because this is not what he signed up for. Any general manager, when you sign up to run a team, you sign up with the understanding that you're going to be running the team. And Ballard, remember, turned down a couple chances to interview, probably at places he would have got the GM job in, in 15 and 16, because he didn't believe in the vision of the owner, and he didn't believe that he would get the time needed to build the right way. Now, he certainly had the time here. I understand that, but I just thought it was another telling moment. And like you said, Jake, sometimes you have to see, see things for what the answer is as opposed to listening to what they're saying. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, I thought there were two very different press conferences, Monday from Jeff Saturday, Tuesday from Chris Ballard, in their own different ways. I think they're extremely smooth operators, borderline politician at times, behind the mic. Uh, What did you make of what Saturday had to say on Monday and then Ballard on Tuesday? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, I was talking with JMV about this a couple days ago. Like On Monday, for the most part, I just heard excuses. Like That's what I heard from Jeff Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say, that was Saturday, just to clarify. Yeah, sorry, uh, Saturday on Monday. It's still confusing when we have to do that, but um, we talked to the coach on Monday. I'll clear it up that way, and and I heard excuses. I heard it was bad when I got here, and it wasn't going to get any better, and if you give me a chance, if you give me a chance with my own staff, it'll be better, even though there's no evidence to support that, and that tone has changed a lot with Jeff Saturday over the last couple weeks. If you guys have noticed, we've heard this line more and more. Well, you're not firing a coach midseason unless it's bad. Like, we didn't hear that in November. We heard, you can judge me on my wins and losses. Well, and now he doesn't want to be judged on his wins and losses because that doesn't feel relevant to him. And and that's just what I took away from Monday. It, it wasn't a good look for Jeff Saturday. And I don't know what he says in his interview that's going to be really convincing. I just really don't. Um, other than the fact that, and we all know this, Jim Mercer really likes this guy. And I don't know how much the last eight weeks have changed that. But conversely, a day later, Chris Ballard, you can say politician, sure, I'm on board with that a little bit, but there was nothing else for him to do besides sit up there and own this disaster. And it wasn't all on him, but there was bad coaching throughout the year. Ursley stepped in, 
but a large chunk of it was on the roster that he built and the misses he had and the mistakes he made. And he sat up there and he owned it. And I truly believe that he feels awful about how bad it's been. Um, I think that's genuine. And I think he's determined to fix it. And I think there's a lot of people in the building that want him to have the chance to fix it, um, starting with finding that quarterback. But two very different press conferences in terms of accountability. Zach Keeper's our guest. He's on the Payless Liquors hotline. He writes for The Athletic. Zach, we know, and I don't know whether or not he will end up getting hired there or somewhere else, but we know that Frank Reich has now interviewed in Carolina for the Panthers job. If Frank Reich immediately lands on his feet as a head coach in the National Football League, is that an indictment on what the rest of the league thinks of Chris Ballard or the Colts in general? I think it's an indictment on what the league knows about what happened this season and what's happened over the last couple of years. The league knows. People in this league, the agents, the coaches, the owners, the executives, they know what happened in November here. They know whose call it was to fire Frank Reich and to hire Jeff Saturday. And they also know that, you know, while Frank Reich screwed some things up, you know, starting with the trade for Carson Wentz and the Matt Ryan trade didn't work out either, the dude had four different quarterbacks his first four years and had a top 10 offense three times. Now, I'm not Frank Reich's agent. I'm not here to argue for his credentials, but he did a pretty good job amid a whirlwind of a run. And I think if you give the guy stability, then you're going to find out what kind of coach he is. But I think there's a lot of attractive qualities about what Frank Reich can do with an offense if you give him the same quarterback a couple years in a row and a little bit of stability. Because really, at the end of the day, in early, late October, his feet were taken out from under him. He was told to play this quarterback, who he didn't think he was, he was ready. And he would have gone to Nick Foles before Sam Allinger, but he didn't have that choice. And I don't care if it's the right decision or the wrong decision about who to play. The fact that you're not letting the coach play the quarterback he thinks he should be playing, that's just bad ball. That's just bad football. So, trust me, the, the rest of the league is not naive to that. And it wouldn't stun me if Frank gets the job in Carolina. It feels to me, Zach, like if the Colts want to get somebody who is an established head coach, that probably, and I'm going to put Jeff Saturday in that mix, even though it was interim level, but Harbaugh and Saturday would be their only two options, and I don't even know if Harbaugh is going to be in play, but Harbaugh has a relationship with the franchise. But I don't know which it is, the uncertainty at the quarterback position or the uncertainty of the amount of involvement of the owner that would cause a veteran coach to have pause about Indianapolis. But it feels to me like that's the case. Do you think the Colts' job has question marks that are big enough to scare away an established coach? 100%. It's the latter, Jake. It's the latter. It's the second thing you mentioned. It's it's the meddling. It's the it's the worrisome about being able to do their job. And Nick Under, Nick Underhill covers the Saints down in New Orleans, and he reported last night that five teams with an opening, all five, have reached out to Sean Payton about setting up an interview. To date, Sean Payton only has three interviews set up. Let's think about why. Sean Payton has been very, very honest and clear about this the last couple of weeks. What he feels is most important is the ownership, GM, coach, collaboration. And he's not going to go somewhere where he doesn't get to make the decisions on his roster. And for better or for worse, that's how he sees it. And I think, I don't think the first part scares a lot of coaches away, Jake. Not as much as you think. The, the not having a franchise quarterback. Like, 
if you're going to a team that needs a coach, chances are they don't have a great quarterback. Chances are there's some instability at that most important position. And the fact that they have a fourth overall pick helps. And the other thing is, is guys like Jim Harbaugh, and, and, I'm, and I'm just speculating here, but these guys don't shy away from challenges. Like, if you're going to Denver, you have a quarterback issue because you have Russell Wilson for God knows how long and God knows how much money, right? That's a quarterback know, problem because yeah. he's terrible. And then secondly, if you go to Indianapolis, you don't have a quarterback, but you also have the means to, to correct that this offseason. So I don't think the roster stuff scares these guys away because they don't think like that. They don't think about failure. They think about how they're going to make it work. But in order to do that, they need to have the chance to do it their way. And I think that's what scares guys away. And I think that's a very real thing. And I think that's going to be brought up. If I'm a coach interviewing for this Colts job, I'm asking Chris Ballard and Jim say directly, who's making the decisions? And can I play the quarterback I want to play? One thing on Sean Payton, and I have no idea what the Saints are asking for him, but I just don't think the Colts are in a position to trade a first-round pick for a coach. Like, right. I, I think at four overall, and I get it, you, you you obviously need a coach and certainly need a quarterback too, but I don't know. It seems like maybe if you're in Arizona or if you're at Denver or if you're these other teams that have some sort of a quarterback, potentially, that you could go with, I think they're in a better situation. Right now, I just don't think the Colts can afford to give up that number four pick. Again, Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Busy, busy offseason underway for the Colts. Interview yesterday with Bubba Ventrone. Sounds like some more coming up today, tomorrow, and Saturday. Zach, thanks for all the stu- or all the uh, weekly segments with us every Thursday, man. Thanks, guys. Have a fun. That's Zach Kiefer right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. What would be an asking price for Sean Payton? Like, what do the Saints consider realistic? What did the I realize a, a generation ago, what did the Colts give up to get Bill Polian as their president? Well, you know, the, I, I was thinking, was it Parcells or Belichick that got traded? There you go. I, it, I think it was Parcells, wasn't it? I believe it was Parcells. Try and find that. Oh, been. yeah, Gruden was traded too. Yeah, Gruden would have been from um, Oakland to Tampa, right? I mean, probably a compensation, John Gruden. Excuse me, compensation Al Davis got for John Gruden. Two first, two seconds, and eight million in cash. Jeez. Wow. I mean, I would guess for... I'm in the minority here. I think Sean Payton's a fine coach. I I don't think he's like a franchise changer. Do you? Yeah. No, I don't think so. And again, you don't have the franchise changer at quarterback, so... right. That's the issue that I think you run into. I'm looking up the Belichick compensation here. The Jets sought compensation and received it in the form of a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick Wow! while giving back a fifth and a seventh. So pretty much they got a first. And a fourth. and Well, the fourth and fifth, I guess, somewhat cancel each other out. I mean, that's a lot. And at the time, you know, Belichick didn't have I mean, that was 2000. It's not like Belichick had, you know, anything on the resume outside of just that stint. The Colts aren't in a position to trade for them. They have too many holes on their no, roster to be giving up draft no. compensation. Agreed. They're I also there. I also think And again, I don't think Peyton wants to come here either. Other than Harbaugh or Saturday, I think Jim Mersey I'm still going to say it. I think it's really important to him to get guys that he discovered. You know, Jeff Saturday was an outside-the-box hire because what did Ursay say? Like, listen, you folks need to understand, like, I know football. I have instinct. I have, 
You know, I can just I can I just know these things. I think that stuff's really important. Well, as of now, Jake Saturday is the only candidate that sniffs that. Well, but the rest of them, though, I guess Raheem Morris has been a head coach, but, but like Ben Johnson, you know, some some of the names that we've seen, I'm saying, are guys that are like, are you saying Colts connection? No, no, no. Like okay. Leslie Frazier would qualify into that group. What I'm saying is, I I do think that he would, unless it is somebody that has a direct tie that he has relationships with. I'm talking about Jim Mercey. I think he likes the idea of young guys that are getting their chance for the very first time as a head coach with the Indianapolis Colts because then, if it works out, Jim Mercey is the savant that discovered them. So you think he goes that path as opposed to the we've gone coordinator hire each of the last two. We need to go with someone with head coaching experience. I would think the what you just said seems to be the logical route. But I don't know that when it comes to Jim Irsay, that logical route is ever necessarily the one that you lean towards. Yeah, very accurate. The out of the the route of rare air. That's right. Someone who is in the upper quartile of upper quartiles. Pop quiz in a few. That's how to make sausage. 317-239-1070. It was Michael Jordan at the press conference on Tuesday when Chris Ballard sat yeah. down, right? Mm-hmm. It was kind of felt honored to be in. Yeah. That's sort should of have been. Same room as him. Uh, let's hit a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. In college basketball last night, Indiana State over in Terre Haute dropping 69-61 to Southern Illinois. That is the first loss in the Moval for the Trees. They are... Now 13 and 5 overall. Southern Illinois at 13 and 5 as well. 5 and 2 in Missouri Valley play. Bradley over Evansville 91 46. But the big one we talked about most of the morning. Penn State over Indiana 85 66. The Hoosiers are reeling, backpedaling quickly. Now 1 and 4 in the Big Ten. They are 10 and 6 overall. They have gone from 13th in the country to 13th in the Big Ten. Mike Woodson afterwards. Well, I got to manage it. You know, I mean, we got some young guys. You know, our two veterans are sitting on the side, and they're not coming through that door anytime soon. So, you know, I'm going to have to manage it. You know, our guys are a little down right now, and they should be. They got smacked in the face tonight. And, you know, my thing is we're just – we're not competing at all. And that's on me. You know, I got to get us competing harder and stronger, and we're not doing that. You know, we was awful in guard, and we had a good game plan going in. And we just – I mean, half of the threes, we're right there with a hand – and hoping that they miss instead of just getting into the ball and making them put it down. It's January 12th, Jake, and I have no ounce of confidence that Indiana will make the tournament. Um, Again, they have allowed at least 80 in their last five games against high major teams, and it's not like the Big Ten gauntlet is anything that we saw coming out of the gate. Rutgers, Nebraska, Iowa, Northwestern, Penn State. One and four in those five. Haven't played Purdue. Haven't played Michigan State. Haven't Problem played is the Wisconsin, last two. They have, I mean, haven't played Illinois. I realize Northwestern ended up being a one point game. Mm, yeah, that, that yeah, game. that wasn't very competitive. Right. And That's again, if you want to hear it, we talked about it earlier. The excuse making for the injuries. I cannot go there. You got enough talent on the roster to not get blown out by twenty in Happy Valley. It's injury watch for the Indiana Pacers. Tyrese Halliburton leaves last night late in the third quarter. Left elbow, left knee. On crutches, leaving Madison Square Garden. It was a very awkward fall trying to attempt 
like a reverse left-handed layup. Josh Hartenstein for the Knicks, big dude, seven footer, two hundred and fifty some pounds, fell on, or I should say, stepped on Halliburton's right foot. Actually, shoe came off, uh, but again, the injuries left knee, left elbow, and left MSG on crutches. No practice today for the Pacers ahead of their back-to-back Friday and Saturday. But any Halliburton update will obviously have a ton of attention for him. Miles Turner back spasms. Just before tip-off, and all of a sudden was ruled out. They didn't have Aaron Neesmith or O'Shea said either. Pacers got down 25 early. Jake, that was a furious comeback, though. I mean, it was a wild. Buddy Heald hit it some was. just stupid shots. He Benedict did. Matherin rebounded nicely. Uh, for Buddy Heald kind of took night. a stupid one towards the end of the game as well. But, but he had hit a couple stupid ones no that probably question. led to um, taking that last one there. Goga was actually making a couple of plays, and then at times he kind of looked like he had escaped from the zoo, I thought, out there, just kind of doing his own thing. Did they did, did they have like an, an all-points bulletin on that? We have an escaped go-go. Yeah, uh-huh. Do not try to feed it if you see him. Don't right. play hero. You know, the walrus exhibit's been closed for a while, the zoo, and I thought for a second there that maybe he had escaped from that. They cut it to two at one point, um, but Jalen Brunson made some plays late. 119-113, the Pacers lose that one. Gosh, do we have anything else to talk about here? Uh, we can oh, probably you know recap what? Colts interviews to round out the show. Okay, so go ahead with uh, those interviews that have already taken place and are set to do so here. Bubba Ventrone yesterday, special teams coordinator, being reported today that Giro Averro, that is the defensive coordinator from the Broncos. Sounds like an Italian sports car, doesn't it? Born in the United Kingdom, Giro Averro. Um, he's interviewing today Raheem Morris, defense coordinator for the Rams, Ben Johnson, offense coordinator for the Lions, reportedly for tomorrow, and then Saturday would be Shane Steichen, OC of the Eagles. So, things about to pick up early in the head coach interview process. It is time for the pop quiz. As I do uh, uh, every time with the pop quiz, I look at the answers before the questions, and the answers all look relevant. So, again, nothing about, like, the 1917 Red Sox or something along those lines? Yeah, no. Cy Young's step-niece is not on the uh, <laughs> on the pop quiz here. Uh, give us a call. 317-239-1070. Jiffy Lube oil change for the pop quiz. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. So I bring this up in relation to a Pop Quiz question. The over-under on wildcard teams to win this weekend. So you obviously have six of them. Dolphins, Ravens, Chargers, Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys. The over-under is two and a half to win this weekend. Where are you guys going there? Dolphins, Ravens, Chargers, Seahawks, Giants, Cowboys. Over two and a half, under. Two and a half. Going under. I'll take Chargers. Ooh, I'll go over. Jake Query's going over. Mm. Chargers and Giants are Jake, the two turn I your, see. Jake, turn your mic on. Sorry. Chargers, Giants, Cowboys.
Cowboys. <sighs> Boy, I think the Cowboys are going in the wrong direction at the wrong time. Well, yeah, who are they playing? The Bucks. Ah, come on. Okay. That's my point. I mean, I'm saying, do you, do you really think I, Tampa... I think we got to lay a little wager, you two, I, on this, I, I because realize, that'll be the Monday nighter. Now, I do realize that... Six-pack of PBR. I realize sure. that you can't... Deal. You can't rule out Tom Brady. I mean, I get it. I totally Not only it. will the Cowboys lose, but Mike McCarthy will be out of a job. Okay. And Sean Payton will be in Dallas? I don't know if it'll be Sean Payton, but... I, Mike Mark, McCarthy will Mark be out of job. Mark pretty and, confident about this. Uh, we get to suck on that all week. And that's what he'll have to do after that loss. Okay. I mean, come on. you, you got to provide a little context for our listening okay. audience. Jerry and hopefully everyone's about the loss dropped the their kids off at school. What? Miami. It's very <sighs> innocuous. Miami, who just posted an ad on Craigslist for a quarterback, has no chance, right? Baltimore, you'd classify in that category as well? I would say Baltimore's chances are diminishing, although they at least have some stability at the backup position if Lamar Jackson mm-hmm. can't. And their oh. defense has played better. Banged up. But Hundley's banged up too. Yeah. Their defense has played better. What about the Seahawks 49ers? NFC West? Uh, the 49ers will roll. Slugfest? No? I think, no. I think the 49ers are the team to beat in the NFC right now. Uh, plus 400 for one of the wildcard teams to make it to the Super Bowl. If anyone's feeling a little frisky on that. Frisky. That's relevant to a pop quiz question. 317-239-1070. Jake Query at number one through eight. Uh, we'll go with number six. Numero six. six. Eli. Eli. Hey, what's up, guys? Eli, how you doing, man? Pretty good. How you guys doing? Eli, who's winning the Super Bowl? Oh, man. Uh, hard to say. I got to go with the Niners. Okay. Eli, you have a, you've called the program before, right? Uh, I don't think so. No. Okay, you you have a, a an interesting. I can't tell if it's a drawl or like almost like maybe a southern drawl. Or where did you grow up? <laughs> Indianapolis. Okay, and um, if you don't mind me asking, uh, when you were a senior in high school, who was the biggest sports star in the city of Indianapolis? Oh, wow. Hard to say. That's a long time ago. I graduated in '77, so uh, from North Central. There you go. Al Daring and Hal Daring were they in your class? Yeah, yes, they were. Okay, uh, so well, probably if I'm wrong, but would Mike Woodson have been around that time a star in Indy? He was at Ripple. Yeah, yeah, he was at Ripple. He would have been a freshman at IU. Probably George McGinnis was pretty big at that time, right? Probably, yeah. Probably George Mel Daniels. Okay. I was really hoping Eli would have said me. I was well, a star. I almost did. Did you play sports, Eli? Uh, I tried. <laughs> well, that counts, right? Yeah, that's a hell of an effort. Yeah. All right, Eli, would you like for me, your fellow Panther, to lead you off with question number one, or would you like for Kevin to lead you off with the first question? Oh, Panthers are the best, babe. All right. Hail, uh, hail, 86. Eli, your first question is this. The senior yell at North Central, which they no. used to do, said, uh, it featured what U.S. city that was mentioned in the senior yell? Do you remember? Oh, boy. That's a long time ago. No, I don't remember. Yeah, Eli, now you're right. Alabama, Jake Alabama, Diego. That'd be San Diego. Okay. First question for you, Eli. The Pacers lost to the Knicks last night at MSG. Who was the leading scorer in last night's game? Was it Buddy Heald, R.J. Barrett, Benedict Matherin, or Jalen Brunson? Uh, I think it was Buddy. How about the other 
Well, I was going to say other B. That doesn't work. There. Eli, what middle school did you go to? How about the dad who coaches on the Knicks? Brunson. Okay. Brunson. It's kind of fun watching Brunson score. I mean, he doesn't just crafty, crafty ways. All right, Eli, number two, five NFL teams enter the playoffs riding winning streaks of five games or more. The first time that many teams head to the postseason with at least a five-game winning streak. Which NFL team, and your Super Bowl pick, enters the playoffs riding the longest active win streak? Niners. Uh, Eli, which middle school was it for you, by the way? Were you Eastwood, Westland, or Northview? Westland. Okay, I was going to say, the guy that had the most points last night, like you, was once a Wildcat. All right, here we go. Question number three. There are seven uh, teams that have won a wild card or been a wild card and won the Super Bowl. Who was the last wild card entry to win a Super Bowl? Was it the Bucks, the Packers, the Giants, or the Steelers? Packers, Giants, or Steelers. One of those won. They were the most recent wild card Super Bowl champion. Let's go with the Giants. Kind of forgot that they were a wild card. Eli, number four, two teams, the 49ers with Brock Purdy and the Dolphins with Skyler X-Game Thompson are starting rookie quarterbacks this weekend. Who was the last rookie quarterback to win an NFL playoff game? Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, TJ Yates, or Dak Prescott? This guy has two athletic gear uh, companies in his name. Two athletic gear Two different companies that make uh, athletic gear around the time that you were in high school make up this guy's name. Give me the choices once again. Andrew Luck, Russell Wilson, TJ Yates, or Dak Prescott? Russell Wilson. Okay. It's like an I-step test. Which one doesn't fit? You think T.J. Yates <laughs> would be the one that doesn't fit on that one? A blue is a bear and a yonker is a young man. I thought it was a lep is a ball, right? <laughs> That's right. Question five for you, Eli. By the way, Eli, do you want to come to our PBR party? Sure. Okay, there we go. We got Eli. Yeah, we, we might need another keg, I feel <laughs> like. <laughs> on this day in 1969, Joe Namath made good on his guarantee of a Jets victory as New York defeated the Baltimore Colts in Super Bowl III. Uh, as young Eli was just a fourth grader watching that game as the first AFL team to win the Super Bowl got it done. Where was Super Bowl III played? The L.A. Coliseum, Tulane Stadium in New Orleans, the Orange Bowl in Miami, or the Rose Bowl in Pasadena? Remember Joe Willie? Ah, I just guess. Let's just say the Rose Bowl. Most Super Bowls have been held in this stadium. Is that correct, Scotty? No. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> Maybe City. City would be the right the right way to say that. Uh, what do you go with? He went with Rose Bowl. He went with Rose Bowl. All right, Eli. The leading scorer last night in Pacers Knicks. It was Jalen Brunson. Thirty four. Uh, question number two. He wasted no time, and he got the correct answer. 49ers. Yeah. Straight. All right, number three. And again, this one, I just kind of forget that they really were a wild card team. The last team to win the Super Bowl as a wild card entry. He was the Giants, who I believe did it twice, 07 and 12, with Eli Manning, of course. But it is Tom Brady and the Bucks. You blew it! Russell Wilson was correct, and the Orange Bull in Miami was correct for question number five. Uh, we'll come back, put a bow tie on all of it on a Wednesday and a rainy one here. Kevin and Query. Possession into the end zone for a. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The Fan. Hey, good news for everybody. The week is further along than I thought. It's Thursday, not Wednesday, right? I don't know why I said Wednesday. Jake, we got Purdue fans in the office, and to say they're thrilled about last night would be an understatement. Yeah, I mean, I just saw someone doing backflips going out of the studio. I think a PBR keg is on the way here just for that. (laughs) I am. I I think I am still really looking forward to this. When Purdue and Indiana meet this year, both of those games are on Saturdays in February. We have not had many Saturday Indiana-Purdue matchups. I think when Knight came back a few years ago, that was on a Saturday, but we haven't had many of those. So, obviously, we'll see where the two programs are in a few weeks, but... Something to look. Here's here's what a buddy to. of mine who's a big IU fan sent me. He said the team righted the ship last season, so maybe that is still possible. But I watched about the first ten minutes and then turned it off last night. A portion of the fan base, which includes me, is sliding very quickly towards apathy. We are going on two decades of consistent mediocrity. We need a Brad Stevens has been cited in Bloomington tweet to resurrect the fan base. We got to be a few days away from that, right? What's that? Oh, Brad Stevens spotted at Nick's today right. having lunch. I think that I think people determined that that ship sailed, right? We're gonna have Greg Rakestraw on tomorrow. Jake, remember we talked with him. We've talked with him a couple of times this year about the uh, big kid at Kokomo. Yeah, Flory Badunga Badunga. I, I think that's I, right. Yeah, I, I think I always. I think it's Badunga, if I'm not mistaken. He had a streak snapped I saw over the weekend of 32 straight made field goals. That's impressive. 32 straight makes. He had 26 and 16 in his last game, or at least I, I don't know if they've played this week. I probably should have double-checked that, but that is crazy impressive. He is right now listed as the number two. I mean, we talked earlier about, like, you know, take with a grain of salt all the rankings and all that because you see, but typically the guys that are the top five or ten, you know, it's usually pans out. He is listed as the number two recruit in the country right now, behind only Trey Johnson of Dallas, Texas. I'm talking about in their respective class. And he's a junior. Xavier Booker at Cathedral is number one in the in the nation right now for his class. Senior, yeah. Um, what I say, junior? No, I just, yeah, I just I was making it clear um, that they were in different Fl- grades. Flory Badunga, by the way. All signs seem to point towards him headed to Cincinnati. Purdue is apparently in the mix for him as well. How many of those do you think were dunks of the 32 straight makes? 25. I mean, it's kind of crazy you make 25 straight dunks, right? I mean, how does one, like, you don't get challenged at the rim and it just kind of get well, I mean, challenged at the rim in high school, I guess. But, I mean, he's at Kokomo. It's not like he's playing 1A schools. This from Jeremy. Jay Wright was at Knicks. <laughs> Jay Wright's another one that's going to be... Let it begin. Yeah. I've enjoyed Jay Wright on TV a couple times I've seen him. I think Jay Wright is just not only a tremendous coach, but... And I, I know that we don't know people outside. You know, you just don't know them. I mean, I, you know, Chris Beard, I thought would have been who Indiana should have gone for, and look what happened there, right? You never know with people, but by all account... Jay Wright just seems to be 
a class individual that would be wonderful for any school to have as the face of their program. This was sent out, obviously, before last night, and I get that it's January whatever, 12th, but I I do laugh at some of these matchups that you see from a bracketology standpoint. Uh, Joe Lenardi from ESPN, he had Purdue as a one seed. Uh, They are in in Columbus, and then if they advanced, they'd be in the Louisville Regional. Indiana State was a 14, taking on Arkansas in Des Moines. And Indiana and Kentucky was an 8-9 matchup in Birmingham with the number one seed being Kelvin Sampson. (laughs) How glorious would that be? Wasn't there... Wasn't it last year that there was a, a potential for a matchup with Kelvin Sampson? For Indiana? Yeah. So what, they lost to St. Mary's, is that correct? And then more than lost. Yeah. I thought Houston was like a two-seed in a different region. Then maybe that's right. I, I thought for I'm sure... I'm picturing was... Houston playing Villanova. I mean, Kelvin Sampson can coach. I don't think anybody's ever doubted that. Bring him back. He was just so arrogant. How old is he? Been doing this for a while. Heck of a coach, no doubt. I mean, from Washington State all the way back. Uh, how old is he, Mark? Do you have? You're usually pretty good with age. Kelvin guesses. Sampson. I'm going to say that Kelvin Sampson is. Uh, I'm going to say that he is 62 years old. 67. Okay. Yeah, 67 years old. He's been doing this for Was that a, a guess while. or did you look it up? No, I It is I, crazy I was, though, as I always I mentioned, it up. Kelvin Sampson, when Indiana hired him, had he lost his biggest the biggest game in which he had coached in his career, he lost to Mike Davis. Yeah. Uh Houston and IU were not in the same Okay. They were in the South and they did play Villanova. So today we'll continue to monitor Tyrese Halliburton's injury situation. Again, no practice for the Pacers. Um, Hawks and Grizzlies both at home coming up Friday and Saturday. Obviously, for many reasons, you hope it's not serious with Halliburton, that left knee, left elbow. And on the Colts' front, a couple of interviews coming up today. Reportedly, Giro Averro, I should say one. Giro Averro today, Bubba Ventrone yesterday. It's a Denver, D.C. and Averro. We'll break it all down for you coming up to round out the week tomorrow. Everybody have a great Thursday.